podcast this week, we talk the devil's piss and Renfield with the star of that movie, Nicholas Holt. All will become clear, believe me. And we talk about Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre, with that film's director and star, Guy Ritchie and the Stath. All that and more on the movie podcast that has just had a single, solitary Greg sausage roll for lunch, but is feeling totally and utterly fine. Oh, God, help me. <laughs> Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, we're back in the studio. Were we in the studio last week? I can't remember. I wasn't here. You weren't here. Don't Helen O'Hara wasn't here, but she is here now. Hello. Hooray. Three colleagues of such lethal cunning surround me. Helen O'Hara is one of them. Back from her marathon of marathons. Yeah. Uh, half marathons. She yes. wasn't here because ah. she was running. I was. I don't understand running. that. You did that last Forrest week. Gump. Forrest Gump. It I'm doesn't being, sound. You have, you have to sound like Forrest Gump. Wherever for, I was for, going, I was running. That's how it says it. That's <laughs> is that okay? Is that I'm not fine? sure. That's fine. That's I don't fine. know. I'm just doing Forrest Gump. It's perfectly fine. I'm doing Tom Hanks. Not you know. Golly. In a sex good, way. Good lord. But that's what you were doing. You were running. I was running. Yes, I'm not comfortable saying that. What I, what you were doing is. What oh I was right, doing. I see. I see. Yeah, yeah, but yes, I was. I was running and occasionally limping by the end. So <laughs> running, was, walking, limping, crawling. <laughs> that was dying. the height of it. Were you running? Shrimping? Shrimping? Yeah. None yet. No, okay. no. I didn't meet anybody called Bubba, so. Uh, Jenny. Was Jenny there? <laughs> Jenny. Jenny. I did meet a Jenny. Hello, Jenny. She was very nice. Really? Met many nice people. You met a Jenny? Yeah. I mean, it's not that unusual a name. Was she then kidnapped by Dan Hedaya? Was she Was she feeding a deer at any point? Not that I saw. Did she put ice cream on your nose? She was a bit faster than me, so she might well have done that while I was, you know, around the corner. Did you carry a giant log through the forest? Yeah. No, no, what? We're doing like the opening of Commander. We are doing the opening of Commander. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, sorry, yes, no, I didn't, so. I, didn't, I didn't carry it. Cue the steel drums. Through the forest. I tell you what, though, I did have, uh, I think I told a couple of you already, I did have a sort of Captain America experience while I was there because the current world record holder for the 10 marathons in 10 days was doing the same set of races that I was. And How he did was that happen? Literally just zoom back past me like six times a lap. Did it he enter amazing. the speed force? He might well have entered the speed force, but I wouldn't have seen him because he was so far in the distance, you see. Um, it was it was genuinely a sort of on your left situation. He'd pass me and then, you know, 30 seconds later, I'd get to the corner and he'd be halfway <laughs> down the mall, you know, towards the statue of Lincoln at the top. It wasn't in Washington, but you feel me. It was yeah. it was that effect. But he was in Washington, but you were still in he London. He was in Washington yeah. and I was Did still you in London. Yeah. Len team up with this man to take down Project Insight? Okay, no, that's where the comparison ends. It's just right. that one scene. Um, <laughs> okay. And I'm not nearly as fast as Anthony Mackie, but, yeah, you know, okay. I, I'm just saying, it, it felt the same. Wasn't, wasn't so much a Captain America experience then, I'm saying, but, but hey. Hey, you it know. was a Captain America experience. Well done for running, anyway. Did you, you. Were, were you raising money for charity or was this just something you did off your own this back? This was something I just did off my own like back. Like the T-1000. Like the T-1000. What? Yeah. Yeah, he did it off his own back. He sure. was, no he was, was running. No, I'm, I'm fairly confident to say at no point did anyone sponsor the T1000 for any of the running. That he <laughs> yeah, did. sure, but he didn't. <laughs> he do just off doesn't his own seem the type either. He was like programmed and shit. You think he went for the lottery? Jesus H Christ! What? Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Stewart. <laughs> Welcome to the Empire Podcast. Helen O'Hara is here. Our geek queen, James Dyer, a great big fucking nerd, is here. Watcher, watcher, cock, uh, and everyone's favorite serial killer. I'm not so sure if you are my favourite serial killer, Ben Travis. Oh, what? Oh, yeah. that's so hurtful. Who's, who's snuck in at the number one spot? I don't know. I don't, I'm BTK not sure we should have this killer? conversation. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's all gone a bit true crime. Jack it has, the Ripper has, has just sped past you. Yeah, uh, On guy. your left. <laughs> God. 
vaguely inappropriate conversation. Anyway, wrong. welcome all. Hope you're all well. I mean, yes. yeah, sure. Yeah. Bring it in there. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm not sure I like Greg's sausage rolls, and yet I what? feel compelled to buy them. Because they are delicious. They're not, I'm not sure they're they are. cheap and fulfilling. They are they're warm cheap. and cheap. Yeah. I'll give you that. They're cheap. They're so tasty. They're so good. You they're have not. to disguise the taste of them by drenching them in HP sauce. Yeah. Ooh. They're not no, the best sausage rolls. I mean, they're not friends. great. And even the vegan ones, which I heard great things about, they're very, very salty. Made very, with real vegans, salty. which yeah. explains the salt. Yeah. High salt content hmm. in, in actual vegans. Anyway, uh, tight 175 this week. So uh, <laughs> we're going to get straight into it with a listener question. Or should I say, listeners question because a couple of listeners sent in this one which means I can't remember exactly who it was and it was a couple of weeks ago but hey ho who's counting uh, anyway a couple of listeners wanted us to talk about the greatest scenes in movies where people get arrested I don't know why people getting arrested was on people's minds Mm-hmm. Recently, mm-hmm. do you can you recall anyone high profile getting arrested? No, not really. Can't no? imagine who that would be. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. So, greatest arrest scenes in movie history. Now, I was putting together a little list earlier on, and there are at least five. And there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of stuff. I found a compilation tube. A, a tube? <laughs> I found a compilation tube. A compilation tube. <laughs> what was in those sausage rolls? Don't tell me. Never tell me what was in those sausage rolls. I found a compilation on YouTube uh, of 32 scenes from movies in which people say you have the right to remain silent. And I think that is barely scratching the surface. But yeah, there's a there's oh, a ton. Oh, so that was like Miranda warnings. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Miranda warnings. I might have dated her. Mm, yeah. Tall girl, redheaded. I think she was far as Dom's first girlfriend before he went out with Jenna. If if what I was doing was not okay, I don't know what that is. (laughs) While we're on the topic of being arrested uh, and going on killing sprees, before we get into, into this, should we, James, explain how last week you led the entire listenership of this podcast to believe that Florence Pugh <laughs> dies in Little Women. Crucially in a hail of bullets. But you added that afterwards. <laughs> I did, in yeah. In a hail of bullets. Yeah. In a hail of bullets. In yeah. Little Women. All, all little I women. know, all I know from watching Little Women, which of course I have watched many, many times, and the one time I went to see it in the cinema, I knew that one of the Little Women died. A little woman died, and... Of being too little? I had a reasonably good chance of being right by just picking one have of Have you names. seen Greta Gerwig's 2019? Yes, yes. Masterpiece. I have indeed. A little bit. Because I, I haven't. Seen it. I haven't. Ah, so whenever yeah. you said so confidently <laughs> last week corrected me. that yeah. Florence Pugh died and uh, yeah. and then added in a hail of bullets, I didn't correct you because well, I was like, well, he must know what he's talking about, right? He's talking confidently on a podcast, therefore he must be right. True. Uh, but but turns out that, that no. you weren't he's right. An idiot. It's no. not Florence Pugh who dies in Little Women. It is, in fact, Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> yes. No. But I figured no, if anyone the... was getting shot, pew, 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 it would be pew, Florence pew, pew, pew. Okay, but nobody uh, was getting shot because that's not how Beth died. I'm pretty it? sure it is. Bob Odenkirk probably got shot at because he's in the war, but we don't really yeah. see that. Uh, yes, but he was a pastor in the war, to be Maybe. Fair. So what character does Florence Pugh, 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 Pugh play? Amy? Florence plays Amy. Amy. See, see, maybe it's because I wanted Amy's Amy to die. Who, well, not in, but this is the great thing about Greta Gerwig's Little Women is that for the first time in forever, I didn't want Amy she to die. She burned the book, Helen. Usually she I do want book. Amy to die because she burns the book and she steals Joe's trip to Europe. However... That was the first time I liked Amy and didn't want her to die because Florence Pugh is great. <laughs> you haven't seen the film, Chris. I and don't it, come in and here and, and commando explain to you. And it's just to be so, it's Beth, 
who dies in a hail of bullets, not Amy. There are no hails of okay. bullets. There are that's hails good. of hail. Dies, and rain. dies in the war. And that's it. Bales of hay. There are All right. Christian Bale is in it. Mm. He was in it, actually, in the 1991 one. Interesting. He was, yes. Yeah. This is true. He was Laurie. With he was, he was a little Ryder. woman. He was Laurie. He was Laurie. He was Optimus Prime. Christian Bale is Optimus Prime. <laughs> I'd watch that. Oh, good for you, Megatron. Autobots roll out. Well, no. Megatron is fucking distracting. I like this version of Little Women. It's much better, isn't it? It is. I'm guessing I haven't seen it. So I hadn't seen Little Women, so I didn't correct James. And then it became a running quote-unquote gag throughout the podcast of Florence Pugh died in the hail of bullets in every movie she oh was in. Lord. And so that's that's why. This is my mea culpa, but it was his fault. <laughs> I mean, it was very much all your faults, I feel like. I mean, in many ways, it was that. Helen's fault for not being here to correct us. I, I, yeah, Helen. I, you've, you're, you're growing off gallivanting with Captain America. Men on a podcast. You, you, know, not, you should be able to get basic facts. Were you not running past Trafalgar Square and you were like, my spider sense is tingling. <laughs> I, I feel a tremor in the voice, force like millions a, of twats have cried out in a terror. Tremor on the in the yeah, a tremor in the voice. A tremor in the voice. Mm. They're being wrong again on the podcast. They're being wrong. I mean, look, yeah. it's, it's, it's <laughs> my spidey sense went off every time that happened. I'd never get any rest. It's between I? two o'clock and four o'clock on a Thursday. Rest assured, we are being wrong on the podcast. Oh, Uh, God. Greatest arrest in movie history. Uh, Florence Pugh in Little Women, right? (laughs) (laughs) After having killed Amy and Christian Bale. And Christian Bale. Well, yeah, I I did enjoy that. But no, uh, I actually weirdly thought of another another Christmas movie. The one that came to mind, because I like people being dragged, kicking and screaming into the police van. Yes, on, on screen, not like in real life. I think that's bad in real life, but on screen, I quite like that. And and so it was the alternate Potterville reality in It's oh, a Wonderful oh, Life, oh, oh, oh. where Woody McCuller, um, his friend, is it Violet, is being dragged into the police van, kicking and screaming. I just find I don't know. That was the image that wow. came to mind when we started talking about a human this. rights lawyer in you was like, yes. No, but it just goes to show how dark that reality is because everything is bad and wrong and she's getting arrested. I vaguely remember it from the one time I watched that film. Why do I have to work with you? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's what came to mind. Let that sink in. (laughs) In, If we're we're going for like quite moving, profound arrests. Robocop. (laughs) Profound (laughs) Going to head him over the pass. I mean, that's where I'm dead or alive. You're coming with me. I work okay. for Dick Jones. Dick Jones. Yeah. Dick, you're fired. <laughs> I would say that those are not the Miranda rights. So, it, you mean, know, he could be in trouble further down the line for not He could be. He could yeah. be. Professional standards would be all over him. Well, exactly. Yeah. He does read the Miranda rights to Clarence Bodiger. He does, yeah. And actually, they're, you know, they're now trying to erode the Miranda rights. So it's a whole thing. I'm not going to get into it. Is that because she keeps falling over? <sighs> Anywho, um, well, one of my favourites is also not the Miranda rights, which is Twenty One Jump Street. That's what I was about to say. You you have a right to be an attorney. They <laughs> 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 don't know the rights. They're reading it all wrong. It's oh, so, so great. good. Yeah, so good. there's a couple of classics in that genre as well. There's uh, Will Ferrell arresting someone. I, I saw this in the compilation tube earlier on today. Uh, there's Will Ferrell and the other guys arresting Steve Coogan. And he's like, you have the right to, and he can't remember. He goes to Mark Wahlberg. What's the next line? And you know, <laughs> and it's like to have to be a, to have a flotation device. And he goes, you have the right to have a flotation device. Oh, very funny. <laughs> so that's a good one. I'm sure yeah. there's ones in the police academy movies as well. 
I was not going to go Robocop. Oh, I, where are we going? No, I was oh. going to say McLovin. Oh. McLovin's McLovin. arrest in, in, in Delicto Flagrante. I beg your pardon. <laughs> Flagrante delicto? Yeah, that. Okay. <laughs> I could delict my own flagrante. <laughs> it's always nice to be have my Latin parsed by Helen. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, that's that's the one. Yes. Not one lesson. Parsum. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Maybe an obvious one, but the Joker in the Dark Knight, where he basically kind of gives himself up knives to be and captured lint. because it's part of his plan. Knives and lint. It's all part of the plan. All he had in his pocket was knives and lint. Yes, that that's never made a lot of sense to me. That that none of that his arrest, plan makes sense. No, no, not none at all. Of his plan. Yeah, That's but it, the genius of it is it. <laughs> it's a good moment though with uh, with your old you know, Jim Gordon, you know, who we all thought was dead, but he's not dead, and he and he puts the gun why to the Joker's head. His, why does he? Why does he fake his death? He, he works for death? Dick Jones. No, he doesn't. And how does he know he's going to fake his death? Because yeah, it all why? seems to be very improvised. He's a very much an and yes kind of police officer, <laughs> and I like that. He uh, he was dead. But he got better. He got better. Like <laughs> Chef Chelios. Was he arrested? Chef Chelios. Probably. Probably. Chef Chelios. Shall we, shall we uh, run through some franchises um, before, uh, sure. before I go through my, my, my long list? My long list of, of arrests. <laughs> uh, not my actual rap sure. sheet. <laughs> What's the arrest scene in Star Wars? Are we talking Princess Leia being arrested? No. I mean, she's detained, isn't it? There's no place He says, work take her away. He says, take her away. He doesn't read her. the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take her no away. Way. Take her away. He doesn't read her rights, though. Read her her rights. Read her, read her. She doesn't. Dragnet! Tom Hanks! <laughs> Dragnet! He was running. City of crime! Against goodness <laughs> and normalcy. Ah. Oh. Read him your rights. Read him. Read him. Read him your rights. It's the rap at the end of Dragnet. Ah, oh, tight 174. <laughs> Star Wars. Yeah, she gets detained. She gets yeah. detained. She detained. That's yeah. that's arrest. And then they get detained later, don't they? Well, they get arrested by the Ewoks and Jedi. She could maybe that could be. A thing. <laughs> Is they that get, arrest? I don't know. If and they Luke gets arrested by Jabba's there. by the Gamorrean guards. You rebel scum. That's arresting. In many, many ways, that's arresting. You that's rebel scum. An, that's an arrest. Yeah. That's an arrest. He's hey, fucking arresting Helen. those rebels there is and no rightly so. filled out. They're not taken but, to the station. That is at best a temporary detention. Yeah, but it's a temporary detention like they're taken, you know, to a place. Uh-huh. Anyway. uh-huh. I, I feel like but, the goalposts are missing. But no, actually, um, but, but I would say Luke gets arrested in Return of the Jedi. Last mistake you'll ever make. When he hands himself in, admittedly, yeah. but he does get arrested there on. He does. Yeah. He gets uh, he gets handcuffs on him. Mm. So that's a big one for me, handcuffs. Handcuffs. Mm. Oh my god. Uh, Blues oh. Brothers is a great handcuff sequence right at the end where they get suddenly they're just handcuffs are on and then they look around there's loads of cops. Mm. You know, that's a really great moment. That's a great moment. Just you saying handcuffs in the context of Star Wars. I know it's not a movie but Grogu's tiny handcuffs when he gets captured by Moff Gideon. Oh, they seem man. a little redundant. No, they have to put him on him because do you remember he's like doing the magic hand thing and chucking the stormtroopers around so they're like handcuff him. But didn't we establish a long time ago that the Force does not require any hand movements whatsoever? He's young. I think it varies. He's very young. He is young. Mm. Mm. There's also various Star Wars arrests in The Last Jedi. Andor Uh, has loads. Andor has plenty. Mm. Uh, Oh, that's a great arrest scene when he's arrested for shopping while Mexican, as uh, Tony Gilroy says. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. That sequence Mm. is great. Uh, The the one that stands out to me in The Last Jedi is uh, when Finn and Rose get turned in by... DJ, uh, when he oh, kind of double crosses them, and they are he captured by Phasma and uh, Hux and all of the mm. First Order baddies, all the big bad baddies, all the baddies. Uh, any other big franchisey ones? Any any MCU arrests? Doctor Richard Kimball. I mean, not in the MCU. It's an attempted and very unsuccessful arrest, and doesn't meet my own criteria. 
But Captain America in the lift is an attempted arrest. I mean, it that's goes an attempted assassination. Yeah, that's not well, an arrest. They've got some. They've got the little you know handcuffy things. Zip ties. They're, they're trying to. No, they're, the electric. Oh, uh, yeah, the little, oh, those things. Yes, let's just shoot things. the fucker in the head. You yeah. know that might have gone better for them, but you know, judging by how it did go, it might not have gone better for them as well. So, yeah. Okay. But uh, MCU arrest. I mean, the all of the guardians get arrested that one time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That man gets arrested. Yeah. Basket Robbins always finds out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tons of ones. There are so many. There are so many. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mention a couple. Uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail At the ends end. with the yeah. police turning up and arresting the characters, mm-hmm. uh, even though it is a historical epic. Uh, it's a, it's a funny joke, James. It's a funny joke. And the movie ends with literally a policeman putting his hand, modern policeman turning up and arresting the characters and then just ending the film. And a a policeman puts his hand over the lens and that's how the film ends. I have almost no recollection of that. I have seen the film, but I've really blotted it out of my brain. You'd obviously passed out due to lack of comedy. Well, I'd say say Life of Brian is really where my love for Monty Python begins and ends. Well, he gets arrested in that, doesn't he? Yeah. That's how he winds up on the cross at the end. He does. Still, Spoiler. cheer up, Brian. Spoiler for, you know, Christianity. Anyway. <laughs> Some things in life, I said, they can really make you mad. Other things just make you swear and curse. Oh, God. Anyway, uh, Sunset Boulevard. Oh, okay. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, Norman Desmond's being arrested at the end um, when she goes insane. When she goes Look, a bit she, doolally. She's ready for her close-up. If everybody is. else isn't on their marks, that's hardly her fault, is it? <laughs> All right, I wrote it down a whole load. Uh, Shawshank, yes, you're absolutely right about Shawshank. Byron Hadley, Clancy Brown's Byron Hadley. Oh, yeah, that's a good arrest. I was thinking, end, yeah, I was Shawshank. thinking about Robin's arrest isn't particularly exciting, mm-hmm. but yes, Hadley's arrest. Yeah, he is taken away. Uh, the end of the taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3 has a great kind of pre-arrest moment, but I don't want to give too much away. Uh, William H. Macy's Jerry Lundegaard in Fargo, when he finally gets arrested, <laughs> is so sad and so pathetic. And it's so, so terrible, but also very, very funny. And The Fugitive, you're absolutely right. Dr. Richard Kimball being arrested at the beginning of the uh, of the episode. I hate those Jobsworth cops who think they have him. Yeah, absolutely. They're horrible absolutely. pricks. Awful. Just wow. going to say it. Wow. <laughs> they're, they're awful. They're awful. They have very little... Helen, you're a, you're a murder lawyer. They have very <laughs> little... Mm. Like, he goes to prison. Like, he gets... Yeah. What's the evidence? Okay, Yes, there's D- her DNA. His wife, his wife's DNA is on his fingernails. Uh, they have his prints on the murder weapon. Well, there's also that there's the, the nine one call, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Would that? Yes, that would be enough, wouldn't it? <laughs> it, yeah. it probably would be enough. It, it feels. Be enough. It feels quite conclusive, especially yeah. if you have such cockamamie. He had a mechanical arm. Yeah, when his, I came home, there was a man, man in my with house. one arm. <laughs> yeah. Defense is is it's not, not great, is it? Super great. But isn't it's it? Not, isn't it super great? If you were a cop. Mm. <laughs> Uh, a cop who couldn't be stopped. If you were a cop, and by the way, one of those <gasps> cops, one of those cops, by the way, is also in the Dark Knight. Uh, Dark Knight. Okay, but also, um, Hot Fuzz arresting... Uh, Timothy Dalton. Well, I wasn't even thinking of Timothy Dalton, although that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking of when he arrests Nick Frost at the beginning. Yeah. And yes. everyone in the town, when he goes around, <laughs> all the kids in the pub and arrests the all pub. of them. <laughs> yes. Locks them all up. When's your birthday? And he says the date. What year? Every year. Every year. <laughs> very, very funny. I, uh, I love Hot Fuzz. Um, what was I talking about? Yeah, the, uh, the Fugitive. Yeah, that scene is mm. great um, with the cop. Okay, but say that you have, you have who you think is a murderer mm. banged to rights. Mm. And he comes in talking about some nonsense story about a one-armed man. Yeah. Now, do you think, okay, that's just 
stupid, you're just making that up to try and deflect attention from you? Or do you think, actually, that story is so specific, it's quite specific. there's got to be something in that. Maybe I should do my fucking job and investigate that. Yeah, but, I mean, the police don't always do their job. Do you? you know who would? Who would? Robert Lieutenant Colombo. Lieutenant Colombo would do Lieutenant Colombo. But, like, yes. yeah. Yeah, he would have. He would have had just one more question. He would have got that. He would have got the good doctor off and not like that. Uh, in <laughs> he was a handsome man. When I came home, there was yeah. a man in my house. <laughs> he had a mechanical toy. You find that man. You find that man. Uh, there was also a cracking one in the in the Fugitive where you think it's a fake out where they you think they're going to arrest Dr. Richard Kimball when he's living in the house. He's, he's renting uh, the yes, room. Yes, yes, yes. There's actually the other guy yes. who's, who's really, really skeezy. Well, then that takes us back. If we're doing fake out arrests and Silence of the Lambs. Silence the of the Lambs. Yeah. Oh, boy. Or she turns up at a completely different house and ends up at Jamie Gum's house. Oh, that's a great moment, isn't Still it? Still not over that. That yeah. is such a great moment. The moment where she realizes, like oh, she knows, God. oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, should we watch the Silence of the Lambs right it now? Let's do it. Such a great film. Uh, and the last one I'm going to mention. There are loads. Of course, there are loads. But I, I have to mention the greatest movie ever made. Now you see me, uh, in which, <laughs> in which there's a magic fight. Mark Ruffalo is trying to arrest Dave Franco, and Dave Franco keeps evading the handcuffs. But unbeknownst to him. Mark Ruffalo is the master... Oh, sweater alert. Anyway. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Oh. Should we watch Now You See Me? That's great. I actually great. quite want to now that you've mentioned it. Yeah. Such, a, such a fun film. Not by any stretch of imagination, the greatest movie ever made. It totally is. Uh, but Ooh, hey, um, Ethan oh. Hunt has got to have been arrested at least half a dozen times during the course of those films. Has he ever been arrested? In the I'm sure he's arrested in the first one. Is he not arrested Kittridge in the first Kittredge tries one? to arrest him. So now we're about to Helen's thing about mm. attempted, re attempted arrest. arrest. <laughs> attempted yeah. arrest, yes. Yeah. I attempt to arrest you yeah. for attempted murder. <laughs> I don't think they've ever arrested him because they can't catch him because he's mm. always running. <laughs> he is. He was running. Laughs like a box of chocolates. Oh, oh, that's, no. They're getting so much worse. I've only, seen, worse. I've only seen Forrest Gump once. Really? No, uh, yeah. That, I've uh, seen it so many times. Well, I... I think it's terrible which is why I've only seen it once watching Forrest but Gump is like a box of chocolates you never know what you're going to you know get. exactly what you're going to get maudlin shit <laughs> I really like it it's no short that shot. tracks <laughs> like it. it's fair that's fair if you want to have your question read out the Empire Podcast uh, and why the hell wouldn't you after whatever the hell nonsense just transpired uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter slide into my DMs if you wish or you can reply to any of my panicked shout outs or indeed any of my tweets once you've stopped laughing, of course. Shall we have a guest? Yay. Let's do it. That's have two got? guests. Uh, well, I, I was going to go with the Staith and the Rich for this one. Staith. 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 Yes, yes, yes. No, uh, no, yes. no. <laughs> Let's do it. Operation Fortune Ruse de Guerre is the movie that reteams Jason Statham with Guy Ritchie for the first time since Wrath of Man. But that was a movie that reteamed him for the first time since Revolver. Uh, the results were much better than that movie, I think it's fair to say. Uh, now, this is a movie that has just come out on Prime Video. We talked about it in last week's show. We reviewed it three stars. It's Empire Magazine. Uh, it was meant to come out last year. Mm. Uh, right about last April, in fact, last April, last May or so. Uh, and then the company the, that was uh, distributing it, STX, folded and therefore got caught up a little bit in that. So it's taken a little while to surface, which means that the interview you're about to hear me do with the state and with Guy Ritchie was conducted a year ago. What? So I have absolutely no fucking clue whatsoever <laughs> what it was we talked about. 
This is as much a process of discovery for me as it is for you. So here we go. Me talking to Jason Statham and Guy Ritchie. Who knows? Maybe we come up with the meaning of life. Maybe we solve the whole thing in the middle of this. Or maybe we just talk about nonsense. The real ruse de guerre is the friends you made along the way. <laughs> Here we go. The state, the rich, enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the gentleman behind Operation Fortune Ruse de Guerre, Guy Ritchie and Jason Statham. How are you both? Very well. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, where are you both? You're both isolated at the moment. Yeah, well, no, Jason's I mean, in the gym. I mean, That's where Guy Jason Ritchie's lives. Gym, which is. Uh, Full of these uh, like little girly weights, but I won't say that on camera. I already did. Sorry, guy. <laughs> I am. I'm actually in Guy's gym. You can't believe it. We are in uh, the countryside, and uh, we're set up in a. I'm in a gym, and Guy's in the back kitchen. It is true. That's where we are. All right. Okay. He's in the same house, but I haven't seen him yet. <laughs> this is wild. So there's a nice backdrop you got going on there. Yes, a uh, nice shape. Oh, we've got the same backdrop. I see, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why I wasn't so sure whether you were, were in a gym or were in a kitchen. But you know, hey ho, it's it's all good. Um, so it's a little bit like Guy Ritchie and Jason Statham films are like buses in that you wait ages for one and then two come along at once because <laughs> Wrath of Man came out here about four months ago. <laughs> It's probably in a dim and distant past for you guys, but was Wrath of Man, that was where you rekindled this, this love affair. Is that where Operation Fortune reared its, reared its head for you both? I think it was, wasn't it, Jay? I, th- I suspect we, we talked about this idea whilst we were making that. By the way, it does seem like quite a long time ago since we made Wrath. Yeah, I remember we was, you know, it went, it went so quick. It was five or six weeks. That's all it took. And I think the, uh, the, acceleration of that starting and finishing just kind of left us a little bit. Oh shit. We've got, we've got to go home now. Uh, we, why don't we do another one? <laughs> and I think, uh, you know, I think we've all, we've never sort of, we've done, you know, this is our fifth film. We've never done an, uh, an action comedy. We, you know, I've been fighting around doing action films over in LA for quite some time. Uh, and I've never sort of had a chance to do a, a decent one. <laughs> So uh, <laughs> an opportunity to do something that I would be, you know, proud of this time. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah, it did happen on, the, on while we were shooting Cash Truck, uh, uh, Wrath of Man. Wrath of Man, yeah, the, the artist formerly known as Cash Truck. That's a hell of a name, yeah. by the way. That's a hell of a name, and because uh, obviously Wrath of Man, that blows my mind. By the way, that was shot in five weeks. Uh, I think it was a bit more than that. I think Jason oh, I, probably. I, I think I did five weeks. Yeah, Jason yeah. Okay. Sort of just, just rocked on in for five weeks. The rest of us worked <laughs> for about four years. It's <laughs> <laughs> a luxury. Thunder thief. <laughs> the luxuries being number one on the call sheet, but uh, but at some point, because Wrath of Man, I loved Wrath of Man. I think it is, but it's it's a really bleak film. I mean, it's a really bleak film. This is the complete antithesis of it in many ways you know it's it's fun it's knockabout it's a caper was that something you guys were looking to do deliberately to kind of switch things up a little bit yeah i mean i think uh funny enough it, we had so much fun making wrath um it was sometimes we would cut straight from crying with laughter to jason saying kill everyone that killed my son 
<laughs> and there would be a, a 30 second segue between crying with laughter to him pulling the trigger on a mass execution. And we wondered whether that was going to contaminate the bleakness, <laughs> uh, the bleakness of wrath. Because our, our intention was we did set out to make something that was incredibly bleak. Mm. And but it ended up just being a sort of a fest of fun. Uh, and it's funny how it didn't it didn't it didn't corrupt our intention or the tonality, did it, Jay? But out of out of the out of the ashes of that, we uh, we talked about we had so much fun doing that that we thought it wouldn't it be fun to make something that actually was fun. <laughs> and actually that's how it came, Jay. That's how it came. We had such yeah. a jolly on that one that we, we wanted the jolly to per to percolate the tonality on the next one. Right. I mean, Jay, could you remember how much how how much fun we had on Wrath? And then know, there was we no way we, we thought we would actually make a serious it film. Yeah, it was gonna be a disaster. Because, yeah, we did <laughs> worry quite heavily about it. <laughs> yeah. But I know that we've always like, you know, we've always had a a chat about making something that didn't take itself seriously, but is, you know, in the genre of seriousness, you know, a lot of the, without mentioning any names, you know, this genre does take itself extremely seriously. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. The spy genre, particularly not just action, but the spy genre. And I think, yeah, and they've got sort of progressively more earnest as time's gone on. Yeah. And you know we comment on you know have we ever seen a good one? And to, to be honest, it's we haven't seen a good one for for a while or ever, <laughs> uh, or, or worth talking about. So that that also is another reason to kind of try and do one is because you know creating an action comedy within the genre of the spy sort of world, um, we don't feel that there'd been sort of one done recently. Well, not one, not one that you and I wanted to see. Yeah, <laughs> we we wanted to make something that we wanted to see. So, at what point? How did how did you go about doing it? Was this was this something that you've been working on for a while, guy? And you thought actually this is perfect for Jason, or did you write it specifically for Jason? And then, well, um, after you know, as I say, we had a chat on uh, on Wrath, and I have to tell you, uh, when I when I say this was the worst script I've ever read, <laughs> I would not. <laughs> I'm I would not be. Said it. <laughs> I would not be exaggerating. And fortunately, I think Jay avoided reading it. And I just said, trust me. And it, uh, the challenge was, is how do you take something that at the time seemed, it, 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 there was all sorts of inherent issues with the script. But I have to tell you, I, don't, I think what the, the challenge was is how, how much, how are we going to turn this into something that's fun? And the truth was the structure was good. So every day we'd sort of, as long as the structure is good, it's the only thing that really matters because you can you can make the rest of it up on the day. The truth is it's much more fun making it up on the day. Uh, <laughs> but you, you you just got to have a roadmap. And honestly, I sometimes worry that people aren't going to trust me. So I much prefer it when they don't read these things. <laughs> um, and, then, and then you just let them unfurl. And... Otherwise, because I'm not sure if I would jump on board based on the uh, uh, on the uh, initial script, because it was it was not great. 
But the it, and because it read also quite serious too, so it sort of right. it was a bit of a feathery fish. So, um, yeah, we wanted the challenge of seeing how primitive a script you could turn into a if you could actually turn that into a film that was was fun to watch. Yeah. Um, and the truth is, is you could you can you know you just got to have a good. You've just got to have a good structure. But the problem is with many scripts, and Jason will know this, is they could be re- rewritten hundreds of times. And we gave ourselves the challenge that this was just written a couple of times and it was pretty primitive, but we did all the work on the day. And I like the work that we did on the day, and it's fun doing the work on the day. And it doesn't really feel like work, and it feels collaborative. And you can analyze these scripts and you go, well, you start reading those that dialogue and you go, there's just no way you can say this. But you can save yourself all the trouble of not rewriting that scene a hundred times and just go and make it. And as you're making it, you save yourself nine, uh, 99 other rewrites by just being in the environment on the day, being getting creating the tonality that everyone's on board in that frequency. And then once you're on board in that frequency, then you end up with a collaboration and the actors get involved and it all feels like you're, it's a bit of a team effort then. And that, I think that's a much more, uh, a, that's the fun mm. zone. I'd also add to that, that the same approach was, uh, was applied to the action, which is a, for me, a very, you know, unorthodox approach when you, you know, when you, when you're fighting with <clears throat> stunt guys, uh, you know, you normally get into, you know, a room with cardboard boxes and that's the pretend table. And there's the, you know, the guy, I mean, this whole thing is sort of acted out and prepped and, you know, jigged around with for weeks and yeah. some, so, I mean, some people spend weeks and weeks and weeks devising these things. And, you know, you, you, you've done this, action sequence, the choreography so many times, it's like a dance routine. Uh, I would say not all that has to go away. When we were doing it with Guy, we just turn up uh, and, you know, you got one of the prop guys there just folding up a map. You go, oh, you, give me the map. And next, all of a sudden, he's inventing a whole fucking fight sequence <laughs> around a map in your hand about the distraction. You just ask for directions, whack, you get a, broken nose through the paper. Yeah. And, you know, this is on the day, five minutes before we're filming this uh, action sequence is when it is just, it's when it's formed, you know. So Christ. You have to, it, it would would really sort of uh, disorientate most people. <laughs> uh, and it did. Yeah, but by the way, like, the, you know, the action suffers from that, right? Action suffers from that because you can tell it's been overthunk. There's, you know, there's a terrible risk in in films that they get overthunk, and I think, uh, uh, I mean, I'm I'm conscious of this, right? I could tell it feels like you got the experts in, and when you get the experts in, it's a bit like if you get too much money, the old money hose washes creativity away, and if you get the experts in, um, the experts wash away. Uh, any sort of spontaneous creativity mm. with their expertness. <laughs> we had a line actually in Revolver was the one thing about experts is they're experts and fuck all. <laughs> and actually, <laughs> the, old, the older you get, the more I sort of subscribe to that theory. 
I wanted to ask about that period between Revolver and, and Wrath of Man. Well, well, the wilderness years is what I'm going to call them. The uh, the Statham Ritchie wilderness years. Was that was that something that did, had you kept in touch? Were you looking to make movies together or did your paths just naturally diverge after that film? It's a good question, actually. I'm not sure if you spent too much time thinking about that, Jay. Nah. I mean, no. I mean, it was all, you know, I, I think one thing about sort of a, uh, you know, Guy and myself, and you know, and the, the luxury of being busy. Uh, and I remember you described it this way. It's like, you know, it's like two ships have to, you know, the timing of when I'm free and when he's free has to really sort of match up with the flavour of the type of movie you want to make as well. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a difficult sort of set of calibrations that have to happen at the right sort of moment in that time. So... Yeah, I think we were just sort of immersed in our own sort of head down, churn out a few films, and the next thing you know, you know, we were always in touch, but, you know, I was always doing something, and, I, you know, I was always jealous I wasn't in any of the other films that he made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think what happens, you get in your lane. You get in your lane, it's head down, arms swinging, um, and then you end up doing something. I can't even remember how we ended up doing, Rath, but anyway, you know however it came about and then you're there actually what i'd like to have done is gone on to to have that that i'm uh that i'm about to make another movie and i would have liked to have gone straight from that to and i would have done it with jay mm. but jay's just too old now and knackered <laughs> and his legs are gone so i couldn't use him uh, it's been an absolute pleasure thanks indeed jason guy thank you thank, thank you. you very much cheers now Okay, so that was Guy Ritchie and Jason Statham. And Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre, is available right now on Prime Video if you wish to dive in. Uh, and speaking of diving in, shall we dive into the week's movie news? And shall we start with Celebrate Star Wars? Come on! Oh my God. <laughs> the sad thing is that was not rehearsed. Yeah. That just happened. Well, it's like when we did the Mando spoilers and we had the yes, yes, yes intro thing, which was just weirdly spontaneous. Yeah, yeah. I love being weirdly spontaneous. Yeah. Now you said it too, Helen. I love being weirdly spontaneous too. See, Helen loves being weirdly spontaneous. Now, Ben. Hey guys, I love being oh, weirdly God. spontaneous. <laughs> I just, honestly. <laughs> anyway, we were weirdly spontaneous last week and we went to the XL for a Star Wars celebration, except for James. James abstained. I didn't come. Uh, no. Well, I don't want to know about your weekend plans, but... <laughs> <laughs> abstained in more ways than one, clearly. But uh, despite being the world's foremost low-bot cosplayer, he yeah. chose not to uh, go to Star Wars celebration. It's true. You fool. Do you know what happened? Are you up to speed on what I, was announced? I, I heard that there was some Star Wars stuff. There was. There was a yeah. celebration of it, in fact. Uh, there was a ton of stuff to talk about. But first of all, we should talk about our live show. That, that went well, didn't Which it? Which I think yes. for many people was the highlight, the highlight. of the entire weekend. Yeah. Imagine that being the highlight of your weekend. <laughs> <laughs> a shambolic mess of four giggling idiots. It was. It was. I loved it. Was it. I loved so it. mentally gone by the time we got around to doing that podcast. It was the afternoon of the Saturday, the Friday. Friday had been a huge, huge day, big, busy day on the Saturday as well with all sorts of panels and everything happening. I was like hanging on by a thread through that podcast. And I don't even know what we talked about. Were we talking about eating Ewoks? Yes, we were. Yes, yeah. we were. The natural conclusion. 
to any podcast. No, but they are on Star Wars menus, like canonically. There, oh. are, there have been Star Wars menus where Ewoks are listed. Why have we decided that Rontos are okay to eat, but Ewoks aren't? I'm, I'm happy with that rule. I don't want to eat an Ewok. You'd have to skin an Ewok before you could eat it, really. Mm. Yeah, that's, oh, yeah, that's for sure. Like yeah, kiwi absolutely. fruit. Like kiwi fruit. <laughs> Turns yes, out, by the way, I've been eating kiwi fruit wrong all my life. Mm-hmm. Which is high. I didn't realize you were meant to scoop it. What was really? it? Well, how else do you eat it? I sliced it. Do you do you not remember weird. that Amar VJ of our formerly of our parish used to eat the hair off the kiwis? He Ooh. kept the skin on mm. hairy he used kiwis. To eat the hair off he, the kiwis. He, he, he didn't, I mean, that's why we never that introduced him to Sam Neil. <laughs> he didn't get off my hair. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't take the hair and eat it separately. He ate the kiwi, but then he had you know, the kiwi hole. Yeah, don't eat my hair. <laughs> <laughs> Don't eat his hole. Uh, don't uh, eat his hole. Don't eat Sam Neill's hole. Oh, good God. Can, I, I, we, can we not? Yeah, let's, can we not? No. I like I mean, Sam Neill. The event horizon went beyond the outer rim, but nevertheless. Oh, no, come on. I like Sam Neill, but couldn't eat a whole one. Anyway. Oh. Star Wars fucking bration. <laughs> so there was a lot of stuff that was announced. Um, uh, ben, you were there at the panels. I was there. It Give was, us it a was quick in the rundown room where it happened, and it, so much happened. Everything happened. Big, I guess the big headline news, the thing that everybody was talking about, was the three yeah, new films. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, with that as well, obviously. Uh, but that was that was the second day, Chris. On the first day before the Empire podcast, everyone was talking about the new films. So I guess. Over the last few years, there's been various announcements of certain things happening or not happening and various non-official reports of directors and writers and people signing on or leaving projects. It felt like a chance for Kathleen Kennedy to come out and say, hey, here is the plan. Here's what we're doing. And for me, I find that plan really interesting. So for these three films, it's not a single trilogy. It's not a single time period. They are basically pushing the timeline further in either direction and doing something in the middle of what we know as well. So Mm -hmm. James Mangold is announced to direct a film set 25,000 years before the Skywalker saga that he's described as a biblical epic, like a Cecil B. DeMille film, like the Ten Commandments for Star Wars, about the first Jedi to discover the Force. Super here for it. Which sounds (laughs) nuts and interesting. (laughs) And it feels like there's probably stuff in the canon somewhere about the kind of ancient Jedi and the origins of the Force, but that I think cinematically especially would feel like really new, strange territory. So that's happening. Because have we done anything prior to the Old Republic previously? Has the Old Republic as far back as we've gone to date? Probably in the Old Republic in the games, ha, ha, is that canon anymore? Does that is that Legends canon? I, well, now? I think certainly the era is canon. Whether mm-hmm. the, I mean, the story of Darth Revan, all that probably isn't. That's 10,000 years, isn't that's it? Roughly 10, before. So... Yeah. This is, yeah, well, well, well before that as well. It's easily the furthest back we've ever gone in the Star Wars universe. Which means it'll look totally different. It'll feel totally different. James Mangold has clearly done a good job with Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Otherwise, you don't think they would have entrusted a Star War with him. Yes. I. So just to be clear, I think he has, and I'm sure that's the case. Uh, yeah, the new trailer, by the way, which we'll talk about. Really fun. Very good. Yeah. I'm super hyped for it. I just want to play devil's advocate for a second. Oh, God, is an absentee landlord. <laughs> and say that, that, you know, they've announced a lot of good directors being involved with Star Wars films. And then... If this is true. Films, and then they haven't if, made the film. And then those people haven't made films, often yeah. because their film didn't get received as well as hoped slash expected. Yeah. 
So, so you think if Indy dies at the box office? It won't so die. It won't, it won't die. Look, it looks super good. This is not to slag off James Mangold, who I super admire and I think he's great. But I'm just saying, let's not like put all our chickens in the eggs. I don't know. Let's let's. Uh, I they have they have form for announcing things yeah. that don't happen. So that's the only reason I'm tempering my excitement because this is exactly what I have repeatedly asked for from Star Wars, which is let's move away from the Skywalker era and do something totally madly different. And I think that the challenge will be getting enough of the visual grammar for it to feel Star Warsy mm-hmm. without ever feeling same old, same old. Yeah. And I think that's going to yeah. be the line. And I think he's a great person to walk it because if you look at something like Logan feels completely different and yet get something about those characters yep. super right. He knows how to walk the line. Hey! <laughs> hey. He hey! Well, he's doing... Because I had the, the good fortune of interviewing a whole bunch of people over the weekend as well. And I spoke to Jim Mangold and Mads Mikkelsen and Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Uh, I'm not sure if that's online. Is it the whole thing? There may be excerpts. I think we're putting clips up from the interviews. I'm not sure if we're putting the whole thing. But I spoke to them. Uh, uh, and his next film is Complete Unknown, which is a Bob Dylan biopic with Timmy Two Meats as Bob Dylan. Uh, and he's going to be doing all his own singing, uh, which is which is hmm. nice. That's I mean, not that difficult to sing as Bob Dylan. You're just going to go for a bit, you know, like a, like someone starting up a chainsaw. Wow. It's pretty much spot on. I mean, was That's, it was it was it Q that voted him the greatest singer of all time? Jesus H Christ! On the basis that he can't sing and yet he makes us feel things. I think <laughs> nevertheless the, the he, he does make us feel things. He makes us I feel mean, grateful for feel the like people we'd who actually be listening sing. to like Aretha Franklin. Yeah, number and this two. is yeah. obviously a genius musician and you know one of the greatest songwriters of all time. But no, that voice, Jesus, yeah. uh, no. Uh, anyway, I realise I've uh, annoyed all the Bob Dylan fans, but uh, that is James Mangold's next movie. So, yeah, in terms of the time frame of these films, Boof. I'm not so sure when we're actually going to start. Yeah. But we do have directors for most of them. Now we had directors for other things. They, they announced Taika Waititi's movie a while ago. They announced Rogue Squadron with Patty Jenkins. They announced the Ryan Johnson trilogy. We know Rogue Squadron is dead in the water. Those other two seem to be up in the air still. I think these three movies will get made, is what I'm saying. But I don't think this will get made until, even if you look realistically, if it starts filming his Bob Dylan movie this August... That movie isn't coming out until next year, mm-hmm. uh, by which point then he'll move on to this. So I would say... shooting 2025? Probably. And then realistically, we're looking at a 2026, 2027, 27. something like that. Yeah. The one I think is closest to starting is Charmaine Obeyed Chinois mm. movie, which yes. is... And that was another big bombshell mm, because yeah. talking of Helen's desire to see Star Wars move away from the Skywalker saga, this movie was announced, which we'll see... Daisy Ridley return in a movie in which nobody has the surname Skywalker. So we are moving away from (laughs) that world. Ben? Hello, Ben. Hello. This film is set 15 years after a movie I call Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. Never heard of it. Which you should all watch because it's great. Uh, It it is. It is. And yeah, this is interesting. So this is them pushing the needle in the other direction. Obviously, yeah. nowhere near as far as the Mangold film going back 25,000 years. But at the moment, Rise of Skywalker is like the furthest forward bit of canon. So they're mm-hmm. moving 15 years beyond that. Daisy Ridley is coming back as Ray, which I am so, so excited about. I love that character so much. I love those characters from the new films. Her coming out on stage. Again, I said this on the 
Mando spoiler special we did this week, which ended up being a bit of a celebration chat. But I must apologise to John Nugent, who was sat next to me in that crowd, <laughs> and the noises I made, the screams when uh, when Daisy Ridley came out on stage. Uh, that side of it is really fascinating. The thing that really gets me excited is what that kind of new era of storytelling, what what they're calling it, because they've sort of redefined what all the different eras of Star Wars are going to be. So the mangled one, there's now a point in the timeline called Dawn of the Jedi. This one, the Daisy Ridley one, is the New Jedi Order. And that's what they introduced the film as. It's Rey establishing a new Jedi Order 15 years after Rise of Skywalker. So all the Palps stuff is done. All that, everything that was entangled in the Skywalker saga, all those forces. All, all, all the, have gone shall away. we say, bad stuff is maybe behind us. Somehow Palpatine has not returned he, again. I would have thought he will not return. Um, <laughs> Uh, but then you go, okay, well, what's next? Like, Rey is a Jedi. There are other Force-sensitive people out there. This is Rey mm. and her new Jedi Order. Is I it, love the sense of Broom Boy's okay. time. Oh, yes. Broom Boy could be back. I genuinely, broom, like, broom. depending on what they do <laughs> Get with <a> everything <laughs> in the Mando timeline, Grogu is potentially very much on board for that. Like, could you be Darth around. Grogu by that point. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <gasps> okay, don't ruin this for me. I would hate that so much. Oh, you, know, you know my long-held theory on that. Be it so. I'm intrigued by the fact that, that Grogu <laughs> does seem to have a darker side, and that's come up when you've spoken to uh, John Favreau before. I don't think they'd send him properly down that path. Yeah, but, I don't. But actually, if he continues down the sort of... I don't think this is a spoiler. I'm not saying anything about path. recent Mandalorian episodes. But if, if he continues down the path of being a man Mandalorian, who just happens to be a you know Yoda type person, uh, and has force powers, um, that would seem to chime perfectly with a new sort of grey order, which is what we assume you know Ray yeah. is kind of setting up. So it actually ties in really, really nicely. And the big question will be: Does this mean if if they bring a slightly more grown Grogu into grown goo, grown goo, grown goo <laughs> into this Ray film? Mm. Does that mean they have to wrap up The Mandalorian first? I think yes. I think it does. I think they're going to wrap up The Mandalorian anyway. Yeah, yes. So. And I think the big culmination is going to be the film that was announced. So, mm. uh, yes, the one yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Actually, I was going to say the one I'm most excited about, but you know, James Mangold is an amazing filmmaker. So I'm very excited about The Dawn of Jedi, which isn't his name, by the way, but that's what everyone's calling it already. And I think for the reasons we talked about the fact that it's going to look and feel unlike anything we've seen in Star Wars to date you would hope um, you would new hope is is I think a real boon but the one I'm most excited about is the Dave Filoni movie so it was announced that Dave Filoni and this is a natural progression this feels like the right thing to do the right step for him to take Dave Filoni after years of being the the overlord of Star Wars animation and then he moved into live action with his good mm. friend Favs and you know they've been overseeing The Mandalorian and then lately they're ramping it up with the the advent of Ahsoka and Skeleton Crew and obviously the book of Boba Fett but let's not talk about that and there were other things you know he's he's now I guess become the dawn of Star Wars yeah. in in many many ways he is the keeper the of the flame D-O-N in this case yes D-A-W-N <laughs> yeah okay. D-O-N uh, and Dave Filoni is going to direct a film which will bring all of these shows together. It's basically the Avengers of of this era of Star Wars. So I think we can expect to see it as a culmination of 
Din Djarin's story, of Grogu's story, of Bo-Katan Kreese's story, of Ahsoka Tano's story, of the story of, of rebels, of the ghost crew, you know, Sabine Wren and Harrison Dula and Ezra Bridger, who we know is going to show up, and Grand Admiral Thrawn, and, and maybe even Boba Fett. I said this in the spoiler special. I think this is where we see Boba Fett next. And I think this is where we'll see Fennec Shand and Cobb Vanth and, you know, all those people. Ooh, and that hair, hair that oh, good needs to be seen on the screen this big, yes, Helen. You know what I mean? Yes, so that's what I'm really, really excited about because, <laughs> yes, I'm excited about the hair. Basically, you had me a Cobb Vance hair. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Favs has already talked about how <laughs> he's uh, written season four of The Mandalorian. And it wouldn't surprise me if they did Ahsoka season one, Mandalorian season four, Ahsoka season two, Skeleton crew doing whatever it's doing because that looks like a fun show, but I don't know how essential it's going to be. I might be completely wrong about that. Uh, and then it's going to barrel into this movie. Mm-hmm. Now, is that the culmination of everything? Maybe, but it seems like a good note in which to end. Okay. Timeline-wise, that's complicated. It is complicated because you would think if this is what we're talking about, roughly five years after Return of the Jedi, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's kind of roughly where we are now, maybe five, six, seven years after the end of yeah. Return of the Jedi in the Mandoverse. And then the sequel trilogy, that's what, how long is that after? 30 years. 30 years. They've still got so 25 we've, we've years. have got 25 years to play with. So, you know, in that, in that world, we, there's no mention of Ahsoka Tano. There's no mention of Ezra Bridger. There's no mention of Grogu. Obviously there wasn't because these, you know, well, actually some, a lot of them did exist before um, The Force Awakens. But I don't think there was the big picture in place. So how do you reconcile that? You know, can you still have Ahsoka knocking around in this new Jedi Order era, mm-hmm. for example. It's fascinating. I don't know how they're going to resolve it. It's really, really fascinating. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see. And I think it's it's a good thing probably for uh, Star Wars to have a Filoni in that, in that sort of Feige-esque position. Yeah. Um, because I, I know he's played a lot of that role, but but to tie the TV and the, the film a little bit more closely together, which it kind of feels like they're beginning to do, I think is a smart move. Um, and also develop in new directions and also develop in new areas uh, as with the Mangold film. So th- I think this is already promising, actually. I-, I was kind of excited by all of that. I think mm-hmm. it feels like a really nice mix of stuff that's new and stuff that's mm. familiar and that you're excited about because you know the context of it and stuff that you're excited about because it feels very different. And I think I don't want to get into it too much because we talked about it a bit on the Mando spoiler special and I don't want to get into spoilers here. But I think this episode of Mando in particular, the opening scene or like the opening sort of 10 minute sequence of this week's Mando, I think is really establishing a lot of what is happening in the kind of Filoni verse. I think that's really te- setting up a lot of what the Filoni movie is going to end up being and what the wider plot of this part of the timeline, which they're calling the New Republic, what that timeline really is and what this story is going to be, what the threat they're facing is and what they're coming up against. So I think that's a really interesting timing for this celebration to have announced this film to have a bunch of exciting stuff from Ahsoka to show they showed that opening scene from the Mando episode and then in fact they did show the whole episode of on the first evening of celebration as well it felt like okay this is the time now to let people in on kind of what we're doing in this part of the timeline as well as the stuff we have going on way back in the day with Mangold and mm-hmm. going forward with Charmino Bay Chinoy Jimbo, you excited about any of this stuff? 
I am cautiously optimistic, yes. Uh, weirdly, the, the Dave Filoni one, and this is no reflection on Dave Filoni, it's not the one that I'm most excited about. Uh, you know, take me back to the dawn of the Jedi, yes, please. Take me back to Rey and all of that. Absolutely, I'm, I'm weirdly, even though I do, as you may have heard before, hate the Rise of Skywalker, I'm actually in, I liked the character of Rey. I thought she had a great deal of potential, so. I think they maybe see this as a chance to atone. Well, this is what I think. I think, you know, to redeem that character, if you will, would oh, be nice, you know. To, Very good. To, Very good. To, to fix what once to put right what once went wrong, as Sam Beckett might have said, would be greatly appreciated for me. And to end the Skywalker saga properly, you know, I'm here for that. Let's do that. But I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of risk in the Filoni film because you're drawing together disparate threads, some of which work better than others, and tonally, which are, shall we say, a little all over the place. Very excited about Soka. Very excited to see what's coming. Book of Boba Fett is a load of old shit. Mando is. <laughs> patchy <laughs> so and the tones I think don't necessarily gel perfectly either so it could be great and again it, it might draw them together really really nicely but I think the, certainly the most recent Mando episodes I and we mentioned this on the spoiler special I felt the storytelling has been a little bit haphazard so to try and distill that to a coherent feature narrative I think might be a bit fraught but you know Hope Springs Eternal good point actually because um, Favreau's written pretty much everything that's come along he's not writing Skeleton Crew as far as I know and 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 Filoni is very much, I think, the the guy who's overseeing Ahsoka. But is Favreau writing this movie? Or co-writing it with yeah, Filoni? I yeah. would have thought so. It was part of the announcement on stage that um, that Filoni will be working with Favreau on it in some capacity. I would have mm. to imagine that for Favreau that will largely be a writing or a, a story credit or something like that on this. Mm. We had a trailer. Hey. For the, the Marvels. Marvels. Yes, where Kamala Khan returned. What did you think of the trailer? I had a great time. I really enjoyed it. Um, I was, you know, I've, I've been a little bit worried because the buzz on this film has been so muted because, you know, essentially the internet trolls have had it all their own way so mm. far um, and have just been talking it down. And I'm I'm kind of, I, I was, I enjoyed this. I was, I was amused by it. I, I think we got a tiny little bit of, I think, one small aspect of its plot. I think that's all we get here, actually. Yeah. Um, I don't think that the power switching is going to run the whole way through the film. I think it's going to be a, a meet cute element. But um but no, they seem to be fun together. They they seem to be uh having fun with it. And I think Kamala Khan thrown into the middle of these <laughs> this group of extremely serious growing up yeah. military types is inherently going to be amusing. And, and it feels nice also to see the kind of TV shows leveling up, right? Like because mm. this is this is essentially a film that is at least two thirds TV based. Yeah. Which is a nice switch. Yeah. And seeing this trailer was such a reminder for me. It's not been that long since Ms. Marvel was on, mm. but a reminder of, oh, Iman Vellani is so good. Yeah. And she is so funny and charming. And every shot of her in this trailer, her being blasted to wherever <laughs> Captain Marvel has been and coming face to face with Goose and being like, oh, cat. And then the flirking <laughs> alien erupted first. Her face in reaction to that, it absolutely cracks me up. All the fangirling stuff and seeing her family again, all those yeah. lovely characters. I so I can't wait to be back with yeah. Ms. Marvel in particular. See, I liked Captain Marvel as a character, mm -hmm. and I I like that film for its many many flaws. I think it maybe didn't land the way I would have ideally liked to do, but I think there's a lot of scope in that character. Yeah. So I'm yeah. I'm I'm very interested to see her a get a second chance to do something with that character, but also to combine it with these other two characters who I really enjoyed on the small screen. So mm -hmm. yeah, and I think that, you know you've got the the potential for for some really spiky, interesting dynamics. You've got the 
the absolute kind of purity and optimism and excitement mm. of Kamala. You have uh, Monica, who has this huge chip on her shoulder, and uh, especially vis-a-vis -vis Carol, and has some real spikiness there. And then you have Carol herself, who's just kind of, I think, feels like she's a bit above all this and is suddenly thrust into the middle of all this madness. I, I just think there's real potential in that dynamic for it not to just be, yeah. oh, hey, let's get together and plait each other's hair. You know? <laughs> it's going to be fun. Yes, indeed. So for, for those who don't know, so the Marvels unites basically the three people who have got the Captain Marvel slash Miss Marvel moniker in the in the MCU. So it's, uh, it's Monica Rambeau. Uh, played by Tiona Paris, who was seen in One Division. It's uh, Aman Vellani as Kamala Khan, who is Miss Marvel in the Miss Marvel TV show, and and uh, Brie Larson as Carol Danvers. And there's a kind of weird thing going on in the movie where whenever one of them uses their powers, they somehow switch places with the other one instantaneously. So, you know, Carol ends up in in Kamala Khan's bedroom and. Kamala Khan ends up inside Monica Rambeau's space suit and things like that. And so that looks really, really fun. We got to see Sawi Ashton as well as the, the film's uh, villain. Cree! Looks like a Cree. She's got looks the, like the a big Kree. hammer that Ronan the Accuser had Yeah, in the first Guardians. Yeah. That might be standard issue. Mm. <laughs> they probably give it to all of them with the uniform. Buy one, get one, Cree. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Sam Jackson's back as Nick Fury. Mm. I, I think this is one that they they had really kept on the down low a little bit. Uh, it's not out for a few months yet, and obviously there's been a lot of talk lately about is the MCU on a bit of a you know downswing? Is it in a bit of a fallow period? Is it going through a bit of a wobble? Uh, you know, obviously what happened with Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania, which is I guess really the first. I don't even could you call it a flop? I, I, yeah, I imagine you probably could. Uh, in terms of box office, because it is not hit what they would have expected it to mm. hit, uh, and critically didn't do that well either. So, you know, there there are there have been wobbles of late. You know, my my metric for this is that the MCU, even when it has given us movies that aren't, you know, I think there are genuine all timers in the MCU, uh, but by and large, I f I find that it has just produced films that I can rewatch happily. If I come home, even even Captain Marvel, Jimbo, you know, which has flaws, if I'm, you know, if I come back home and it's on TV, I'll stick with Captain Marvel to the end because it's a ton of fun. Uh, there are a couple of movies that have come out of late in the MCU that I would not stick with mm -hmm. until the end if I happened upon them on TV. Uh, and it hurts me to say that. It hurts me to say that. I, it, like a dagger to my heart to say that. <laughs> uh, but I'm hopeful. Guardians 3... And I'm hopeful that the Marvels mm. is going to start the upswing again. Mm. And this one looks like a lot of fun, even though there was a fair amount of cynicism towards it on, on Twitter. Uh, but there was also, I think, a fair amount of, of oh, well, this looks like fun. This could yeah. be, this could be, this could be it. They're, yeah. they're back in business. Yeah, I mostly saw the fun um, reaction to this trailer. So I'm... I'm yeah, I mean, I there was always going to be. It's yeah. like if they reacted badly to a film led by one female superhero, being led by three is obviously not going to appeal to those people either. But fuck them. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. The other trailer we talked about, we didn't, but we haven't really got into, is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which you get a little bit more of a sense of the plot. So, in the in the sixties, Indy, he's now a professor, Professor Henry Jones Jr., if you will, is retiring. He is, you know, and he's hung up the whip a long time ago, from what we can tell. Uh, and then he gets involved in a some sort of plot, uh, dragged into it by Phoebe Waller Bridges, Helena, who is. Um, 
one letter away from being Helen. So close. So Damn close. It. So close. But she is the daughter of an old friend. We all assumed it was going to be Marcus Brody, but it seems to be she's the daughter of Toby Jones's character, whose name I don't know. But uh, it looked like a lot of fun. The, the trailer, mm. this one. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm super hyped. I'm. I'm very optimistic that this one will in no way. You know, jump any fridges, new Kenny fridges, new Kenny fridges, <laughs> jump any sharks. <laughs> what are they? Was it? Was it some sort of? It wasn't a ferret. It was a gopher. That was it. Yeah. Mm. Can I be the person to be like? Well, actually, in the room, they showed uh, like seven minute action sequence from this film. You? Did they in the Lucasfilm presentation? They did, which they showed it just after announcing Daisy Ridley as Ray. So my brain was like <laughs> wobbling all over the place, and I was like, "This is this is too much madness to put in one text." They showed us um, this great sequence in Morocco that was like a tuk tuk chase, and so it was Indy and Helena and another character who they haven't really announced. Um, it's just some kid from Morocco who seems to know his way around. And they're chasing after Mads Mikkelsen's Voller. Um, Mangold introduced it by saying that it's like, this is slap bang in the middle of the movie. This is like an hour in, basically. And it was this chase sequence through the streets of Morocco. And it was so much fun and felt so, so indie. And there's more than one tuk-tuk and they're hopping between the two tuk-tuks and taking it in turns to drive and going down tiny side streets and bouncing down big hills. And oh, it was it was an absolute blast. It looked so good. And I just really hope that they've got everything right around this. Because I do think Crystal Skull has some good sequences. I think especially the first like 45 minutes of Crystal Skull is actually generally really good. I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, yeah. There's some great stuff. I mean, it's, it's yeah. a Spielberg film. There's always yeah. great stuff in a Spielberg film. Yeah. You know. So there's some MCU casting news. Oh, thank uh, God. I am. Whew, thank you. <laughs> I thought we'd only talked about the MCU for for ten minutes as opposed to our usual twenty five. Uh, so, uh, Deadpool three uh, has a, has. It seems that Morena Bakarin and Stefan Kapicic, and I probably mispronounced that name. Uh, they're going to return for Deadpool 3. Not entirely uh, shockingly, I would say. Yes. Uh, she, of course, is Vanessa. Vanessa! Uh, who is Deadpool's uh, girlfriend. I read a story this week because there was like there was a, a, a rumor going around or actually Miranda Bacaran has said that, you know, they basically haven't maybe an offer that I that I would like yet. So, you know, I may not be coming back. Stephen Kapicic, uh, of course, plays Colossus in the mm. first two Deadpool's as well, so he's going to come back uh, in that one. So, yeah, you excited well, by that? Yeah, pleasantly, pleasantly unsurprised. Yeah. Ple- pleasantly unsurprised indeed. Other MCU news: they've paid Miranda Bacaran. Now they're paying Mia Goth. Yes. Oh yeah. Mia Goth has signed on to star in Blade. I mean, look, she, I, I assume, I'm just going to go ahead and assume she's a vampire. I I'm just, assuming that that's too. Where, that's where my head's at. Whatsoever gives you the impression that spooky Mia Goth from all the spooky movies <laughs> with a tiny Victorian child's voice is going to be playing some kind of I don't of know what it is vampire. about her beautiful but spooky face that makes me think that she might play a beautiful but spooky vampire. I just, but that's where I'm at. I just wanted to declare that straight up. When, when that news came out last night, I saw it and I was just like... Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm really happy for her. I think she's amazing. She did such incredible work in X and in Pearl. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't seen Infinity Pool yet, but I know people Infinity have... Deadpool. Way there well, you there's go. the crossover that I'm not sure I <laughs> Not would be sure anyone wants to see, no. <laughs> um but yeah, she she's been doing incredible stuff lately. And the MCU does this. It finds people who are kind of on the up and up and who are 
talented and unique and gives them cool things to do. So, yes, more <laughs> was, of that. It was another one today where you could feel film Twitter's heart breaking a little bit. It was just like, oh no, we, she thought she, we we thought she was one of the good guys, and now she's aligned herself with the MCU, destroying them from within, Mia, destroying them from within. Last thing, last thing to talk about, and I know this may be more of the uh, the domain of the Pilot TV podcast, but uh, it was good news this week for anyone who looked at the Harry Potter movies and thought, you know what, <laughs> they weren't long enough. <laughs> In yeah. that. The uh, artist formerly known as HBO Max, now just Max. I love we got Max, we got Dave. What's next? Keith? How are we doing this? Well, there was an amazing tweet yesterday right? going, let's hope Peacock doesn't get any ideas. <laughs> 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 I don't remember who did that tweet. I'm going to claim it as my own. Uh, yes, Max, the newly named Max, is going to um, have a load of shows coming out uh, over the next few years. And chief among them, is a brand new, as rumoured, Harry Potter adaptation, which will basically take one season to tell each book. Each book, yeah. So Seven I, I don't, I don't. Seven seasons. Yeah. I don't under. I do understand. Like money is the answer. Yes. But I don't understand really otherwise because you have a perfectly good, on average, we can have a discussion. In some cases, beloved to, um, series of films. Mm -hmm. Uh, with a superb cast, absolutely well, superb Well, they cast. become superb. Obviously, okay, early uh, on, it's okay. I wasn't so. even talking about them. I was talking about the Oh, yeah, sure, the, the sure. The, 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 yes, good yeah. D-bench. Very Incredible bench, bench yeah. of talent. And um, that means an awful lot of, an, an awful lot to an awful lot of people. And so your solution is to just do that again. Just do that again. But longer. Don't but longer. Don't develop the the world in a new new way. If that's what I mean, that, they that hasn't gone well, doing. has it? When they've tried to do that, it hasn't because they didn't have a plot for those films. True. And then there's this is leaving aside the big you know J.K. elephant in the room, which you know who is someone who has alienated her entire fan base, it seems, at this point, yeah, and it, half of the cast. It feels like as a financial move, it might be strategically flawed. Um, but that generally sort of, so on a purely sort of, uh, you know, as, as I'm in favour generally of taking fantasy books that have been made into films and spinning them out over series and giving them the breadth they need uh, to tell the full story. That said, if you go to the early Potter books, they are not long books. No. And I feel like the films, which are quite long, pretty much cover off the major beats. So I I mean, weirdly, this is the one time I kind of feel like most of that stuff is maybe covered. I'm not sure what... Like, is there anything, Ben? You, you probably read the books more recently than well, I have. Spew, you, you know, on account that you were spew back in. Indeed, you could put spew back in, but there's not a lot that's left out of the films, is there? I mean, in the later books, there is just because you look at something like Order of the Phoenix, which is a very internalized book. That's a lot about Harry's feelings, um, but they made that into like the shortest film of the lot, and it's the longest book. Um, Half Blood Prince. There is a ton of really great Voldemort backstory that they never did in the films. So I, I can fully see that there are sequences from the books, there are moments, there are things that they miss out that if they had the chance to do everything, yeah, I, would, I think that's a cool thing to get to see. But overall, I do, I do not like this at all. I, it feels really wrong to me. I think it feels... I think it cheapens the films. I think it you know, feels like a regressive move. I feel like it, it comes from a place of 
not wanting to do anything interesting or different with this franchise in the wake of not just the Fantastic Beast movies, which, you know, have, I do think, have their merits in places. Um, the coats. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of good coats. <laughs> mainly the coats. Uh, the little stick insect guy. Uh, but And everything else that's happened with the external factors of Harry Potter in the last few years, I, I, don't, I don't want to get into that too much. But it just feels motivated to me by all the wrong reasons and as somebody like harry potter is massively important to me i was just the prime age for the books like i was seven when i read the first two books oh my god perfect and followed all of them it was like my whole childhood was like matched by harry potter and then all of the movies and i just think them doing this it doesn't feel motivated by hey let's give this to a new generation it feels motivated by I imagine the original cast don't want to come back to do The Cursed Child, yeah. which also is a, a a story which I think genuinely, it was designed for the stage, it works well on the stage. I don't think the the nuts and bolts plot of that mm. story are ideal for a movie. It's not the strong point of no. Cursed Child. You, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can open that story out. Mm. I, I'm, I'm a bit flabbergasted by this decision yeah, to be honest same. with you because I, I, from a technical point of view like they, they, they were already pushing it in terms of making a Harry Potter movie every year so it took them well, when was the last one when was uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2 was it definitely 10 years pretty sure so you know so you have your problem of your cast aging out like you have to hit that and, yeah, and I know most TV shows do one season every year but not always and this this era of new brand huge budget prestige fancy TV shows we're not doing one season a year we're not doing Rings of Power's not doing one season mm. a year Wheel of Time's not doing one season yeah. a year Game of Thrones did to, to, for, for the most part for the right? Most part, for, the most part. But, for the most part but but also you know that's with a mostly adult cast yeah doing a full season of let's say eight episodes six eight episodes with 11 year olds yeah. and then going straight into another season with 12 year olds well what age do they start it's not even 11 is it's it 11, is it 11 is it 11, 11 yeah. yeah I thought it was younger than that yeah. I mean, wow. that's, I mean, even if they cast slightly older, very slightly yeah. older to just give them a bit more, you know, maturity and, and, yeah. and maybe experience, I don't know. That is a huge commitment. They they didn't sign the original kids on for 10 years initially. They signed them on for, I think, two or three films. They didn't sign them for the, the full mm-hmm. thing. There was, a, there was a whole sort of, well, we might have to recast after a couple of films because specifically because they were trying to protect the kids. The rumour, certainly this time, is that they are trying to get 11-year-olds to sign 10-year contracts, which is bananas. Like 11 years old, you don't know you're going to be wanting to act when you're 21. It's it's. Well, I mean, think about, crazy. you know, if, if anybody has read the, the Will Smith autobiography, he literally talks with, with both his kids. You know, when, when Jaden got into acting... And they, they went and did After Earth together. It was basically halfway through that that he realized Jaden didn't want to be there and didn't want to do it. And he'd sort of pushed his kid into it. Um, and then the same thing exactly happened with Willow. He committed or they committed to, you know, a big tour with Jay-Z when she had that uh, Whip My Hair hit. And then she was like, I think I'm done now. And he's like, oh, shit. Yeah. Well, if I'm mm. going to protect my daughter, we have to be done now. You know, this is not an easy thing. It, it th- There was an alchemy about the first Harry Potters and they were extremely lucky that they chose very, very stable, well-adjusted kids and very stable, well-adjusted parents and then protected them. Do you remember how, how hard they protected them? We, yeah. When we tried to get interviews, the, <laughs> very their, much so. their interview time mm. was super limited specifically to look after them. You, you have to do that if you're going to do mm. something like this. And but, but the commitment that these kids would be taking on is monumentally greater. 
mm-hmm. than mm. than Radcliffe and Co. But it's not just that; it just and feels like for, a story that's been told. It's I mean, a story that's what, been told. It feels to me like obviously Rings of Power is a slightly different beast, but it feels like if you were to say we're going to take the original Lord of the Rings story and we're going to now retell that over however many seasons, it's just like well, why? The like, films are there and they're perfect. Even when we thought it was an Aragorn origin series when they were talking about that we weren't excited mm. really about that we were like we know who Aragorn is we're good thanks yeah yeah and it feels like that here when, I, I get I get the I get the temptation for Warner Brothers they own this gigantic mega popular property and Fantastic Beasts has they have a quite theme frankly park. they have all worked. sorts of stuff they going have on. all they have of this to, stuff they yeah. know that there is a demand for this world and yet they don't know how to capitalize on it because Fantastic Beasts didn't work but there have got to be better ways than this if that's what they have to do you know I, oh. anyway yeah I, I listen I when it when this was first mooted I thought oh this is an interesting idea if it's not just adapting the books if it's say for example just happens to be set at Hogwarts at the same time as Harry if it was like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern type thing focus on someone else yeah. focus on someone you know like a different character like a Neville Longbottom or, yeah. or someone like that Longbottom the uh, series the writer that we like um, the one who did the the Monster Comes to Call Pat- oh, Patrick Ness. Um, Patrick, yeah, Patrick Ness. Ness yeah. Patrick Ness did a book like that about yeah. the kids who are, you know, around the apocalypse. Obviously, you know, Buffy had a great episode on it, the Zeppo. Mm. That that would be fantastic. That, that could be really. You super could do cool. something like that, or or honestly, I don't know why. I thought this was the the general plan, but I don't know why they're not just doing the thing. Let's just wait. Let's just wait for a few more years. We'll do the cursed child. We'll bring the original cast back together again, and Except people will go and see it. I think they're not going to come back and do that I think I think Ben's right like the, the original cast I think are pretty much done they are not going to come especially with everything that's happened I don't think any of them want to come back to this at this point so I think Cursed Child is is, is, is shot Cursed just, hmm? Cursed Cursed. I, I've, I've, I've called it Cursed Child all the way through because it sounds more fantasy. <laughs> the Cursed Child. Ooh, cursed child. The, uh, the other thing that's come up for a while that would feel like uh, it would give you the name recognition, it would give you the setting, would be to do a series about Harry's parents at school, yeah. give you the, the Marauders, give you James Potter and Sirius Black and Snape, Snape yeah. and Lupin and stuff. Uh, like even that would feel like a more creative way to go. Uh, it's it's just a big question at the moment of like, what do you do with Harry Potter with everything but, happening outside that world? Mm. And to me, this decision just feels motivated by that. We have to do something. We can't let it go stagnant. But what they're doing feels motivated by kind of the only move they can make. And the only move they can make is a bad one. Yeah. And they're doing it anyway. Do they have to do something? Like, oh, one of these ones where they it, lose the rights. Yeah, is it like with Sony and Spider-Man, where if they don't produce a Potter-related thing after a certain period of time, then they lose the rights to it at some point? It, it may be, there may be a clause like that. It would certainly make sense, given how protective uh, Rowling has been of, of the books. Um, they may also be constrained in what kind of, you know, extraterritorial mm. world-building they can do because of the same protectiveness and because of the same, you know, tight grip so maybe because the they, they own these stories or they're able to do these stories. So maybe, yeah, maybe they're exactly but, that she, thing. You know, she was obviously very heavily involved in Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. And um, and I think had to oversee a lot of that. You know, so she's, she very much still sets the canon mm. for this entire world. Um, so I guess that's probably an issue. But look, I, I don't know. It's just... Maybe it'll be great. Maybe we'll be back here in two years or whatever it is going, oh my God, I, I never thought that this could... Be as good as it is. I, I just would be surprised as things stand. All right, well, listen, there's loads and loads of stuff to talk about still. Um, but also, this is New Empire Day. Yes. Very, very exciting. 
What's on? What's in? What's on? What's in? What's on? What's in? On the cover is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Speaking to James Gunn and Chris Pratt and Zoe Saldana and loads of the cast, Will Poulter as well, nice. uh, coming in as Adam Warlock. That's John Nugent's cover feature on Guardians Three. This is a big issue for me. I have a lot of things that I'm very happy about in this issue, one of which is a big feature on the new Little Mermaid. I had a really great big chat with Rob Marshall, I had a great fun conversation with Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's doing new songs, and also with Alan Menken. What, what? I got to talk to Alan Menken for half an hour. He's the dude. Which was amazing. I spoke to Halle Bailey all about them making this kind of ambitious Disney remake. It's a big one for them to take on and how they're approaching that. Uh, So a big feature on The Little Mermaid. We have a big feature as well on Bo is Afraid, the new mind-bending Ari Aster movie, uh, which sounds absolutely bonkers and sounds like he had a wild time working with Joaquin Phoenix on that film. We have a big old interview with Bill Hader. Beth Webb spoke to Bill Bill Hader Hader. uh, about his career and about the end of Barry and about becoming a director, like the fully-fledged director of this final season of Barry. Uh, Helen, you wrote the intro for a piece written for us by Kelly Fremon Craig, the director of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Yeah, which is very exciting. So this is the classic book. It's 50 years old, I think, now, and um, and still relevant and still kind of weirdly groundbreaking. So it's really, really exciting to see that finally reach the screen. I spoke to Rob Savage, the director of Host and Dashcam, and uh, the upcoming The Boogeyman, Stephen King adaptation. So I spoke to him about that. Uh, which, you know, he's not backwards and coming forwards. He's he he's throwing the word iconic around about a couple of sequences in that movie. So he's very confident that it's going to scare the bejesus out of us. Uh, and so I. am I, uh, to be honest. But uh, in my section, the best section, the review section, uh, Ben spoke to Richard Linklater. I did. About Boyhood, which is getting re-released. Uh, we ranked the Halloween movies. We spoke to Damien Chazelle and Justin Herberts about Helen's favorite movie, Babylon. Uh, <laughs> and there's tons and tons of great stuff in there and all the reviews that you'd want to read and all the news that you'd want to cram into your eyeballs. It is a cracking issue. It's on sale right now and all good, evil and virtual news agents. Pay my wages, please. There you go. Thank you. All right. Time for our final guest this week. Uh, making his return to the Empire podcast for the first time in about four years is Nicholas Holt, Ooh. who stars as a title character in this week's gore-soaked horror comedy, Renfield, in which he plays Dracula's uh, put-upon, shall we say, right-hand man, uh, whose job is to procure Dracula people to eat and drink their blood. Renfield, of course, is a character who's been played by the likes of Dwight Fry and Peter McNichol uh, over the years, but he's by and large a character that a lot of adaptations excise mm. uh, or they don't really pay a lot of attention to. Tom Waits in Bram Stoker's Dracula as well as another good Renfield. Uh, so there's a lot of mileage here. Dracula, Draculaer, sorry, to give him this correct canonical name, Dracula in this is played by Nicolas Cage and he really sinks his teeth into the role. Oh boy. Oh no. Uh, anyway, this is a very interesting chat with Nicholas Holt. I always enjoy having him on the podcast and it's been a long, long time since I had seen him. So uh, yeah, we have a bit of a chat about that, about Renfield, about working with Nicolas Cage again because they worked together in 2005's The Weatherman and a great many things besides. Here we go. Do please enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast, pouring himself a nice cool glass with sparkling water. A sparkling water. I like sparkling the bubbles. Water. Do you like the bubbles? I do. Someone descri- my, One of my mates described it as like television, like drinking television static. 
the other day. <laughs> like, and I was like, well, that's... How do you want that? Television you... static and newspaper is how he described bubbly water. And I don't. I th- it makes my blood fizz right. with excitement and joy. So but I'm you a need that to get through water ambassador. Okay. Because <laughs> it's the, devil's, we're here to talk the about. devil's piss as far as I'm concerned. But really? You hate it? Welcome to the Emperor Podcast, Nicholas Holt. <laughs> devil's piss. <laughs> devil's piss, yeah. <laughs> it is the devil's piss. Anyway, welcome back to the Emperor Podcast. Nice foamy bubbly. <laughs> foamy bubbly piss. Yeah. It's, been, it's been too long. I looked it up just before I walked into this room. Thank you for having me back. Uh, yeah, we've, we've Lifted the ban. <laughs> what did I you. do last time? What did you I trashed say? the place. Yeah. You said horrendous things about sparkling water and then left. Yeah. Well, upended furniture. And I'm continuing on the same, <laughs> on the same realm here. Let's it's go. been four years. Four we were years. talking Tolkien last oh, time. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's been a lot, a lot has happened yes. in the last four years. Right. Uh, but it's good to have you back on the, on the podcast. Nice yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Renfield. Yes. Now this is an interesting role to get your your teeth into. So no, I, e- I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to do that. I'm I'm so sorry about that. But the, uh, <laughs> you know, there's been loads of Draculas. Yeah. Loads of Draculas. How many good Renfields can you name? Uh, uh, Dwight Fry was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Tom Waits was excellent. Very good. Um, uh, Dracula, Love and Dead and Loving. No. That's exactly it, Peter McNichol. Peter McNichol, thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Peter McNichol again, brilliant. Right. Um, there's been lots of really good Renfields. Um, yeah. but but also very different Renfields, or different a Renfield set in a different time, I suppose. Yeah, um, and not every Dracula movie has got around to having a Renfield. Yeah, either. yeah, true. He doesn't appear in every single yeah. one. So you can plow your own furrow with this. Yeah, somewhat. This it was it was nice to have that the the novel and and those previous iterations to kind of bed it in or to mm-hmm. be aware of them, mm-hmm. but also like a lot of the time in those. Uh, versions of Renfield it's kind of when he's more under the the crazed uh, kind of power of Dracula where yeah. he's much more almost on the religious fervor of him and the, his master whereas at this point it's been a hundred years of that and that, that allure has worn off you know so, so he's a bit more worn down and beat down when we first meet him in this film yeah. um, but I did try and steal like Dwight Fry's laugh I did Sneak that into the film, and yeah. I would like listen to it, and like so we tried to, to to root it in some of those. Well, ideas. there's a moment there. There's a a couple of moments actually, but there's one there's one moment where it's uh, Chris McKay has almost entirely recreated that Universal backlot. Yes, yeah, for, yeah. Uh, for a scene with you. That was some of the most fun stuff for us to do. Yeah, I think as fans of the Thirty One film, for all of us, we'd have we'd have kind of the original film up on a screen and. And then Jamie, our VFX supervisor, was fantastic in terms of re- managing to mathematically somehow figure out camera angles, lenses, lighting, etc., to then kind of superimpose us into the movie to give like a brief history of <laughs> Renfield and Dracula and how we got to the starting point of this film. Yeah. Um, and just as fans, it was it was really cool to be like, oh look, that's that iconic scene and moment. Yeah. And we're in there trying to kind of imitate or copy the movements and voices and whatever as much as possible. So was that green screen or was that a nice That was all set? green screen. That yeah. was all green screen? Yeah. Okay. So that must be interesting to try and plug yourself into that. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. It was fascinating because you kind of watch playback and then you go and then you'd be like, okay, and then you watch it alongside the original and you'd be like, okay, this movement was a little bit off and uh-huh. that was a little bit off. But if, I, if you bend over a little bit more and a bigger grin or whatever and then just kind of, <laughs> yeah, honing it in, it was a different, a different uh, discipline for sure. But otherwise, you're incorporating little bits of, of Dwight Fry. Yeah. Any weights in there? Not too much weights. I yeah. would like to have had more weights, but that that film was totally so different. I think mm. to this, um, 
I would have liked to, and I would have liked to have had more Peter McNichol in <laughs> terms of the humour as well. <laughs> Maybe I subconsciously did a bit of him. No, no, no. I, th- I think that's uh, it's such a, an, an interesting choice, the Peter McNichol one. There's a there's a guy in that film that destroys me every every time I see it, which is where he he thinks he's being followed by someone. Right, right, right. Yeah, and he, he just walks around in a square and he thinks, okay, I'm shaking them off. Yeah, and, yeah but he's so committed. Yeah, in that bit, in that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what you need. That's what you need to be 100% committed to, to Redfield. Yes. To play your own furrow. But what else did you bring? Did you did you plug any Nick Holt in there as well? or Did I put any Nick Holt in there? Mm. Um, did I put any Nick Holt in there? Probably not intending. Sparkling water. He loves it. <laughs> he loves, he loves, he loves There's a great big set piece where he's just, he's just <laughs> all drinking. About, all about sparkling water. Um, not intentionally. Um, I don't think... There were definitely times, I, I think, probably where uh, I think that the, the humour sometimes with with Renfield in this iteration comes from him obviously being alive for a long time mm. and then saying something that gives that away to people, say, to Aquafina, uh, Rebecca Nora's character, mm. saying something that's like makes it apparent that he was around for the Great War yes. and then having to redact and yeah. clarify those statements. Yeah. And I think there's something about the rhythm of that that's very Hugh Grant-ish or uh, particularly what Hugh was doing back in kind of the Notting Hill days and stuff mm-hmm. of saying something and then having to clarify and retract. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's there's definitely a rhythm at times of that um, in terms of the comedy. Uh, what else was I stealing and looking at and you don't have to steal anything you don't have to you can, you can, you can incorporate some new stuff into, into this guy yeah true yeah. could so. just incorporate new stuff I was trying to you know what and this, the thing that we were trying to work on with the action was this idea of him being in these scenarios and having some eleva- elevated level of powers that he can win them but doesn't necessarily want to be there and also being slightly shocked in moments <laughs> Yes. When he can rip off, when he like unintentionally pulls two arms off of someone and say, like, "Oh, unexpected." Okay, well, what do we? Where do we go from here? What do we do? Or like, he never really uses weapons. There's no like guns that he uses. So mm. like, hiding behind like a serving tray when someone's pointing a gun at him because it's like even mm. though that wouldn't protect you, just like the actual instinct hasn't gone of like yes. a normal person as opposed to like movies where it's like highly trained assassins who can <laughs> can deal with anything in any moment and never show fear. Renfield's still like kind of making this up as he goes along. It's an interesting thing is because obviously the movie is a, is a comedy horror. Yes. And it, and it, uh, but at the same time Renfield has been responsible for the deaths of hundreds of people presumably over the years. Yes. And there's there's moments where it gets into that a little bit that you know he's he's got that on his conscience. Yeah, yeah, his moral conscience is potentially a little bit off. And he's kind of trying to find this loophole where he's like, okay, if I if I get bad people <laughs> and yes. serve them to Dracula in a roundabout way, am I doing some good? Or at yeah. least like um, whereas Dracula's like, just bring me cheerleaders, just bring <laughs> me innocent victims. Because <laughs> there's like this whole idea that he can taste kind of uh, purity in blood. Um, so needs needs cleansed souls I suppose to bring him back to full power yeah. Um, so yeah Renfield is it, it, that does weigh on him the idea that he's um, <laughs> that he's probably killed thousands of people and served them up to Dracula over the years he's, well that's what, you know what one of the things I actually really liked about the script was this idea that yes it's a toxic relationship yes he's been manipulated and gaslighted and, and all these things by Dracula mm. And he is a victim on some levels, but also him actually owning up to his own mistakes. 
He's going it's to something yeah. that I, I really appreciate because I think we've all kind of at some point probably been like for Renfield it was this idea of you know if he goes off and works for this count and does this deal he'll be able to provide better for his family but through that has actually lost his family lost himself lost everything so it was kind of his greed that um, caused that and I think this idea later on in the film of him kind of taking responsibility for his own mistakes um, yeah. was something that was kind of great about the writing and being like okay well yeah yeah, there was this e- evil boss of mine who did cause all this pain, but also I I was there. I made decisions that I shouldn't have done. Precisely. Was that something you could plug into in terms of, you know, not naming any names, not naming any, any films, but things maybe you've taken in the past where you think, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. This is going to be this is going to be good for the, the bank balance necessarily, but, right, you know, right. but maybe not so good for the soul. Is, is that something that you... I really try not to do the... Yeah. Like, not good for the soul, good for the bank balance. Um, ones there's 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 potentially ones occasionally where you're like, okay, that potentially this is. You can go. I like the good thing is now I can go and do adverts <laughs> and, th- <laughs> and things that hopefully will pay the bills, so that then yeah. like the, the the acting you can do more for more for the soul, um, I suppose. Um, but there's an element of like you never know how something's going to turn out and there's definitely times where I've ended up on set and I've been like oh this this original idea or the thing that I signed on to is mm. is slowly eroding yeah I had it described to me uh, it was described really well by the the production designer Ethan of, of the menu uh, he was described as piss pie and he, w- he wasn't talking about the menu at this point but he was talking about how easily productions everyone signs on normally to a film with the best intentions. Of course, yeah, yeah. You all want to make good films. But then gradually there's like a little bit of a squeeze of like, oh, the budget was going to be this, but now it's gone down to this. And so, you know, there's like tiny little things that you have to make allowances for, but how they gradually add up. So it's like, okay, this scene was meant to have 100 people in it all chanting, but we can't get 100 people because that costs this much. So we, can, so we can get, it was written as 100, but you know what, we're going to have 30 people because that's what we can get. Mm. And, and you know what, we can't have the cars getting up because of this. So it's like the vision of what was potentially there on the page gradually. And none of those things are like the, the big thing <laughs> yeah, that, of course. You, that you put, you know, it's like a revolution or something. And people <laughs> yeah. don't put their foot down for the little things, but then suddenly you realize that you look back and you go, oh, well, that all the things that I really loved or the ideas in the script and the things that would have made it be an A, 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 A plus movie mm. have kind of got watered down, pispired into being a C or a D. And that's, so, that's difficult because it, sometimes you don't even notice it happening. Yeah, um, yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question really. No, it that's does. just it me does. randoming going off on a trail. It does. There's a, there's a lot of discussion of, of piss in this interview, Nick. So <laughs> yes, back to the devil's piss. <laughs> We're back to the devil's piss. Um, <laughs> And obviously, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to link that from Devil's Piss to Nick Cage, but here we go. <laughs> We're going to try it somehow. For the first time. Here for, we go. For the first time. For the first time. Because obviously you worked with him in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Weatherman when I was 14. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I had great m- memories of that and great impression of him. But also it was when I was 14. So it wasn't like I knew all of Nick Cage's back catalogue and uh, was fully aware of just, you know. What, what did I'd, you know? At that point, I think I'd seen like Family Man. The Family Man and Con Air, right. and Gone in sixty seconds. Right. Okay. I loved Gone in sixty seconds. Um, so I'd see. I knew who Nicolas Cage was, but I hadn't like. And I'm trying to think if I watched Adaptation before then as well. But anyway, now going back as an adult and going back and watching Wild at Heart and Raising Arizona and uh, 
yeah, adaptation and, and Moonstruck and all these films that are so iconic and the performances he gives in them was so much fun to then be on on set with him, watching him in full Dracula garb, seeing where he's pulling inspiration from and, and how much he cares about the the you know the folklore of Bela Lugosi and Christopher Lee and where mm. where the character's been before, but also giving it his own flair and twist, mm. um, and also playing you know Dracula is someone who is like, yes, he's an evil boss and can hurt Renfield and lash out and all those things, but also playing him as someone who who cares and can get hurt and yeah, yeah. like isn't yeah. all evil. It's like there's real pain in some of those scenes for him. So it was it was really fun watching what he brought to it. And uh, as well, you know, trying to trying to play against that, play off that must be really interesting. There's a really fun scene where, not to give too much away, but he goes to Renfield's house. Yeah, and, that's one of my favourite scenes. I mean, yeah. and, and his facial expressions alone were were yeah. sending me in that. He does this really fun thing where he kind of touches his lip with his like long fingernailed <laughs> finger when he when he said something that could be potentially painful or or yeah hurtful. He kind of does like a little like, oh, was that, have I said something naughty? Yes. Might have struck a nerve there. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah. And uh, do you have a Dracula in you? Do I have a Dracula in me? Not at the moment. No. Okay. Do you mean in terms of what I like to play Dracula? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not at the moment. No, I don't. I don't mean I physically, d- do you have a Dracula in you right now? <laughs> right? <laughs> no. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. I, don't, I mean, I, unless I saw something on on the page or like there was a, a director or a take on it that I was like, oh, that's my one at the moment. I've, I've seen a few good ones. Nick's one is so in my <laughs> uh, um, in my retina at the moment, in my brain, that I don't think I could ever do anything as good as that. So I'm like, you know, maybe one day, but at the moment it's not something that I'm like. Maybe one day. I, it's not like some. there's a little part of me that goes, oh, wait till I get to do my Dracula. There's not yeah. that. It's like I'm happy with the ones that have been done and I think they're great and... And just real quick as well, because I know you've, you're, are you, have you just finished filming Nosferatu? We're still you... filming. I'm flying back to Prague tonight. Um, okay. Yeah, I feel like I'm in the, in the Robert Eggers School of Acting at the moment. <laughs> uh, I'm learning a lot, and it's incredible. And I'm, uh, he's, he's an amazing director, so I'm excited for people to see. And that's that not film. Dracula, but that's, a, that's in the that's uh, Nosferatu, in the yeah, yeah, Count Orlok, yeah. which So, yeah, which is different, but another vampire. Yeah. But tonally, couldn't be more different. <laughs> All grist for the mill, one day, file it away. Yes. Get your own Dracula out there. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah maybe. Nick, it's been a pleasure as always. It's this has been good to see far you. too short. Next time, come oh, on, we'll yeah, have, yeah, yeah. Thank we'll you. have loads of sparkling water. Thank you. Yes, more <laughs> devil's piss for me. <laughs> Precisely. Pleasure, man. Thanks. Thanks so much. Very good to see you. Thank you very Likewise. much. All right, so that was Nicholas Holt. And before we get into the review section of the show, Ben is about to leave us. Yes, I have seen nothing. I was lured here to talk about Star Wars. My on your day off no I'm like, it's my day true. off because of yeah. Star Wars Celebration then, then I get a text from Chris saying do you want to come and talk about Star Wars Celebration and I say yes <laughs> yes let's do it I had a day off this week I recorded two podcasts and interviewed two people so <laughs> Chris, I had a day off this week I interviewed one person and edited one podcast <laughs> yeah so I had no days off this week but I spent a lot of time on the sofa with my feet up you guys should try being you know freelancers yeah. I'm just saying we should, we should take some chill time I think anyway Ben it's yes. been um let me just see. A pleasure. I'm just reading it off the script. <laughs> it's been an absolute well, pleasure. I no, it has. Had a nice time, genuinely. Oh. Uh, it's been nice to see you all. And now I'm off to enjoy my weekend. What are you going to see? I'm going to go and see The Pope's Exorcist. You have a problem with that? Take it up on my boss, the Pope. James Dyer. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're going to see Evil Dead Rise. Evil Dead Rise tonight. Rise. Yes. Cheese Grater's Ahoy. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh I, I hosted a. I'm not two- going. 
uh, I hosted uh, two Q&As for that last night with uh, Lee Cronin at the Prince Charles Cinema. Mm-hmm. Never guess who turned up. A pain punter for the second viewing. Second screening last night. Pain punter paid with their own money, queued up outside with all the, all the norms like a real regular person. Edgar Wright. No. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little clue. Brett Goldstein. Stranger things have happened. Finn Wolfhard. Correct. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yep. Walked in, was in the middle of the queue, just really? walked in with someone. I immediately clocked him. I was like, that's Finn Wolfhard. That, he's um, Rex from Stranger Things. Never seen him. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I have seen his IMDb page. That's what nobody looks like. And you've seen Ghostbusters Afterlife. I there have seen go. Ghostbusters Afterlife. Did he ask so. a question at the Q&A? No, he didn't. I couldn't see where he was sat. Was his question, can I be in the next Evil Dead movie? <laughs> <laughs> he was upside down. Is that, is that a stranger things? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. It's good. Okay. Why am I here? I'm going to go. Go, go, go. Ben's gone. Ben's gone. I don't mean he's dead. He's just he's just walked out the room. Uh, let's talk about Renfield. Yeah. So this is the new film from Chris McKay. It stars Nicholas Holt as Renfield, who has basically sold his soul to Dracula, essentially. He has agreed to be Dracula's familiar in return for eternal life. Overly familiar? <laughs> Sometimes, actually, yeah. And uh, Dracula, played by Nicolas Cage um, on fine form, uh, has been left, uh, you know, uh, bloodied and basically reduced to overdone toast uh, by a previous attack by some religious types. So Renfield has been very slowly nursing him back to health and moving them around to keep him safe um, from people who might notice, hey, uh, haven't a lot of people gone missing recently and turned up as desiccated corpses and might there not be a vampire around? We should probably do something about that. So they have to keep moving. They've uh, landed in New Orleans. Renfield is still going out every night and trying to search out prey for Dracula, but he's assuaging his own conscience by trying to get bad people, which Dracula is beginning to complain about. Um, Not as tasty. No. Not as tasty, no. Not like, like a vegan sausage roll. No, he yeah. wants nuns. He wants a bus full of cheerleaders. You know, he wants like some some fresh meat. As Podcasters. <laughs> the purest <laughs> souls the purest in souls. Christendom. So, uh, so Renfield's under some pressure and is beginning to, to be unhappy and is going to a support group and stuff. When he meets Aquafina, who plays a, a sort of incorruptible cop in a police department riddled with corruption, who is, she's out for revenge for her slain father, who was also a policeman. And it seems like together these two slightly broken people might maybe figure out a way for her to get revenge, for him to become free of Dracula and to basically somehow do the right thing in a corrupt world. That's basically the sort of spine of the movie, I guess. Mm. Um, There are lots of good things about this movie. Um, there is Nicolas Cage as Dracula, who you know clearly living out some kind of boyhood dream. Um, they've even recreated some moments from sort of you know mm-hmm. Bela Lugosi Dracula films. Uh, do stay through the credits for for more of those kind of playing out, which are immense fun. And he's just having the best time. So when he's being Dracula, when he's getting to be threatening and all that, super fun. Um, Nicholas Holt, I, I always like. He's a very likable screen presence, but it is hard to square the whole heroic thing. I want to, just want to do the right stuff with the, yes, but you have been feeding people to a monster for literally 100 years now, dude. Not super great uh, behavior. So I, I didn't love just that aspect of the premise. I didn't think it worked super well. And because he's so likable and so sympathetic, there isn't much of a kind of 
moral shift when he meets Aquafina. She doesn't challenge the very fiber of his being. He just sees her as somebody who might be able to help him do better. Mm. So I thought that was a little bit of a of a shame in terms of character work, I think, and, and everything else. But I don't know, it just felt very action film by numbers, this. I mean, the tone for me was a little all over the place because at times it's very comedic and very light and mm -hmm. very fun. The, the, the support group scenes where Renfield is trying to talk about his toxic boss are very light and very funny. And then you have that contrasted with this wild amounts of gore mm -hmm. when the film gets going. Like A lot fully, of the CG gore, which is disappointing. A lot of CG mm -hmm. gore and a lot of like, you know, CG limbs being... Eagle. <laughs> no, there's no Igor in this, no. Um, but a lot of limbs being... <laughs> Being torn off and then used as projectiles, that kind of thing. So I find it kind of unsatisfying in that sense, right? It's it's it, it was a little all over the place for me. It felt a little bit done by committee. And also, I don't think this is a spoiler. There's there are bits in the end credits. There are sort of images yeah. and, and stills in the end credits, yeah. which suggest that there was more fun stuff in this film that was cut out. <laughs> there was. And I resented them telling us that a little bit. <laughs> Why didn't yeah. you keep it in the it's movie? It's in the trailer as well. So uh, I spoke to Chris McKay for a spoiler special for this movie. Uh, so we will be doing that. That's going to be out in the next couple of weeks or so. But uh, to give you a little taste of what we talked about, there is a um, a, a short fantasy sequence musical number mm. with Nicholas Holt. Uh, that was was cut out in the movie. And you can see a glimpse of it in the trailer and they, and they put a little bit of it in the end credit sequence as well. But they don't really explain what it is. You just get to see him dancing. I don't know. The, the, the movie itself is is interesting. We gave it four stars. Yeah. Uh, I'm not quite in the four-star camp. No. But there are some real pleasures to be to be had from this movie. There are some scenes that really did make me laugh a lot. There's, you know, some of the therapy session scenes are really, really great. Uh, Brandon Scott Jones is very funny as the 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 head of the group uh, Nicholas Cage is great there's a really great really great scene where he goes to talk to Renfield in Renfield's apartment Nicholas Holt is always a winning and warm presence that you can't help but root for yeah. but I felt that there were parts of the movie that didn't quite hang together that well I wasn't quite sure about the movie's internal logic or indeed infernal logic <laughs> I'm not sure that everything quite makes sense but uh, it looks nice it sure is pretty it does and it does some interesting things with um kind of horror movie grammar. Uh, Nicholas mm. Holt is in an apartment at one point, I think it's in the trailer, so it's not too much of a spoiler, that is like actually brightly coloured, which you almost never get in these movies. And I think they both leaned into and didn't lean into the New Orleans location because that, of course, is very associated with vampires and gothic horror and everything else, mm -hmm. but they haven't gone for the obvious beats of that, which I kind of appreciated. I thought that mm. was you know, clever in a way, so I enjoyed that. Um, and we haven't mentioned, you know, you have Ben Schwartz as this sort of... Um, inept son of a drug lord family yeah. and Shreya Dashlu is his basically sadistic mum. I thought they were, that was quite a fun yeah. dynamic. Mm -hmm. It wasn't maybe given quite enough room to to, to shine, but that was, there was, that's kind of interesting casting, interesting characters. So yeah, there was loads of fun stuff in it. I just, I, the tone wasn't quite mm -hmm. stable for me and it didn't quite hang together properly. But R. Kim Newman, who is a man who knows his way around a Dracula movie, he really uh, does. He disagreed with that, so he gives this. He gives this uh, four stars. He gave this four stars. I think they're taught by problems with grammar. <laughs> he gave this four stars. So four stars then for Renfield. But in terms of star ratings, we gave one more to one fine morning. Mm. Hell's bells. The big five stars for this one. Yeah, this is uh, Mia Handsome Love, um, French movie starring Lea Seydoux as a single mother raising her small daughter. 
But it's more about her sort of balancing the different generations, I guess, in her life. So her father is suffering from a degenerative Alzheimer's-like disease that's taking his sight and his cognitive functions at once. You know, she and uh, his ex-wife are having to try and figure out, you know, where he's going to go. He needs to, he can't live alone anymore. So, you know, where are they going to put him that he will be safe and cared for and everything else? Um, and they have some very tough conversations about that. Meanwhile, she bumps into an old friend and strikes up a relationship with him, but he's married, has a kid of his own. How is that going to work? Mm. So it's just, it's it's very much a sort of slice of life kind of moment in time in a person's history kind of a story. Um, Sidhu's character is, is very internal and very sort of... Um, you know, she's a very competent woman. She's keeping a lot of plates in the air, obviously, uh, moving a lot of things around. Um, she's an interpreter, so she's traveling all over doing quite high-level interpreting work. Um, and you see sometimes the effect that some of this is having on that work, you know. But it is very much, there is barely a plot. So yes, I, I like this a lot. I think it's a, it's a beautifully kind of humanistic portrait. But do be aware, you will not find much in the way of plot, traditionally so-called, in here. Mm. All right. Beautifully humanistic. Five stars then for one fine morning is the Last Kingdom movie, Jimbo, which is called? <laughs> it is called The Last Kingdom, colon, Seven Kings Must Die. Oh, it doesn't sound beautifully humanistic, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> uh, but this is, this, this, is the, this is the film that's going to finish The Last Kingdom. It essentially, essentially does. So, yes, The Last delivers Kingdom. delivers on the last It bit. delivers on the last part of The Last Kingdom. So The Last Kingdom, which began in 2015 on BBC Two and then was sort of co-financed and adopted by Netflix. Ran for five seasons is the adaptation of Bernard Cornwell's Saxon stories. And Bernard Cornwell always said that he plays merry hell with British history in the Saxon stories. And I would say The Last Kingdom plays merry hell with Bernard Cornwell in its TV series because it, it takes some, shall we say, narrative liberties with that. But this is very loosely based on Warlord, which is the 13th and final instalment in the Saxon stories and it sees the return of Alexander Draymond as Utrecht of Beppenberg. Uh, oh boy. <laughs> and, uh, I, no more Forrest Gump impressions, I yeah. told you. <laughs> uh, and, is he and running? He, he was running. In fact, he does an awful lot of running. There's a bit where like he's down in fucking Wessex and then he's fucking up in Northumbria. It's like, there are no Ubers at this time. How are you getting up north in that amount of time? But it's a minor thing. It's a minor thing. I, I've always really enjoyed this. Like I love a Viking show and this has been, you know, I watch Vikings, I watch Vikings Valhalla. This has always been my favourite of the Viking shows. You are a big fan of Saxon violence. I do indeed like hey. a bit of Saxon violence. Very good. Uh, and this, in many ways, it wasn't a hundred, it was announced, I think, before the, the fifth season actually aired, but it's not entirely necessary because Uhtred reclaims his birthright at the end of season five and I feel like we have an, an amount of closure. He kind of breaks away from, from King Edward and, and sort of uh, breaks brokers a peace between King Constantine of Scotland, even though Scotland wasn't actually a thing back then, but let's not even get into that. Uh, and so you feel like the kingdoms are kind of at peace. The only thing we don't have is, our, is Alfred the Great's dream of England has not been realised. So this one uh, begins where King Edward has died. Uh, all the there's, there's a lot of Ethels. Ethelstan and Ethelweird uh, are fighting over the throne. A lot of Ethels. And uh, Uhtred gets once more, just when he thought he was out, they pull him back in. He's been meeting it up in his little fortress in Bevenberg. He's sucked back into Saxon politics uh, and has to has to sort out all the throny stuff. Uh, and more Danes, more Vikings, more backstabbing. The king who he helped raise, who's Ethelstan, he has a new advisor with the fantastic name of Ingelmunda, uh, and he's he's a ne'er do well. And it all mm -hmm. it all it all unravels. Who directed it? Now it is directed, in fact, by Edward Baselget, uh, and it's. 
is a film entirely aimed at people who watch the show, right? So this is essentially the sixth season condensed into a feature-length installment. It is not in any way meant as an entry point for this series. It will give you absolutely nothing if you have watched none of the series to date. So I kind of think you do need to plough through, I think it's 46 episodes of the TV series if you're going to get into this. Otherwise, it's a bit of a waste of your time. I really enjoyed it because I love the series and it's just more of the series. There's a great battle in it, which is really well orchestrated. It's very, very well shot, but it's also quite nicely strategically thought out. Um, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with it. I think he's really good in the role. All your favourites return. You've got Finnan, you've got Citric, you've got Father Pulik, all the good stuff. Oh, fantastic. Who, who can forget Father Pulik? I, I watched the first season of this Did was really, really great. Yeah, yeah. That's and, great fun. And then I just kind of stopped watching it. It was just one of those things I just never really got around to watching the, uh, yeah. the second season on. It's, it's but I thought fun. that Alexander Draymond is someone that Hollywood's been sleeping on a little bit. Mm. Like he's 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 got everything. He's been a little bit busy, I guess. The, the yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he's. I mean, he carries this series. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of good people in it, but he's so charismatic as Uhtred, and he's great to watch. The fact that this series takes place over around forty-five years and he ages by let's say a little less than that is neither here nor that. The aging of this is hilarious. Like, he doesn't get a day older and yet his kids are born, they grow up, they die, you know, it's I mad. I mean, you know, Outlander exists. Sure, uh, sure. All, all of this is true. Exists, all of this is know. true. Um, but it's just so much fun. It is so much fun. And, uh, you know, you, Chris, who are a massive Canute, I think would really enjoy a good Viking show. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. What would you give it? I would give this if you're a fan of the series this is it's a solid 4 but really it's kind of, it's kind of a 3 and it doesn't do anything new but uh somewhere between a 3 and a 4 depending on how vikingy you're feeling okay. but uh but watch it if you watch a show watch this there's no excuse not to all right there's no excuse not there's to there's no excuse no. not to yeah. we we're going to review this on the pilot tv podcast even though it's a film <gasps> but we were unable to due to the embargo crossing the streams yeah it's it very disappointing crossing the streams you just like saying it. Don't I do you? love saying it. I, 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 his accent is glorious. I love it. I love it to bits. All right. 17 stars then for The Last Kingdom. Yep. Seven kings must die. Uh, one star for each king. Don't do the maths, that um, one. Uh, and last but least is The Portable Door, Hell's Bells, which, along with the words, one sausage roll, please, <laughs> uh, the words, Sky Original Movie are the most terrifying in my lexicon. What about, uh, is this a is this a latest Sky Original clunker or is it actually pretty decent? Tell us about I it. I mean, look, if it's a rainy Sunday afternoon and, you know, the kids are running around the house like mad, maybe this would be just the thing. I don't know. So it stars Patrick Gibson from Shadow and Bone. He's Nikolai Lansoff in that, of course. We all, of all course, familiar, of course. I think. Um, and it's directed by Jeffrey Walker. And basically, this is the story of a, a hapless young guy who is trying to go for a job in a coffee shop. There's a massive queue. He gets sidetracked. One thing leads to another, and he ends up completely clueless in this job interview for a mysterious company who then offer him a position. And it turns out that they're kind of magic, and they kind of engineer coincidences that lead to life-changing, maybe even world-changing events. Um, he's the, the big boss is Christoph Waltz. Uh, he also works for Sam Neill. So there's really, really good people in the company, but there may also be nefarious goings on. Uh-oh. Involving, uh-uh. yes, portable doors and the search, therefore. I mean... I thought there was maybe about 40% too much plot 
for the intelligence level of this film. Hmm. I feel like they're trying to do an awful lot of moving things around and having double crosses and, you know, misinformation and figuring out who's lying to who and about what and, and who you can actually trust and who you can't. And and when all you really want is magical doors that open to places that you can then go back through. And you know what I mean? It felt like a very odd way of approaching this because I think there are some basic, you know, fun ideas there, you know, going into the wrong job interview and then somehow getting the job and having no clue what you're doing is a is a solid funny mad potentially magical setup. You know, I thought that the the first I don't know, 15 20 minutes of this I was like, okay, there's real potential here. This could this could really go somewhere and then it just kind of didn't mm. for me. I didn't I didn't love where it ended up. There's also some weird goblin prosthetics because there are goblins um involved as well. So I'll be honest, I struggled to entirely pay attention to it. <laughs> uh, I love Patrick Gibson, obviously from the OA, who's very, very good. Sure. And of course, but it has. More uh, from Shadow and Bone, though. Sam Neill was here. Sam Neill. Did you see? Yes. <laughs> uh, I thought it was quite charming, actually. It's, it, it, has, it's it does have charm. Pretty well directed. Yep. It's got, a, okay. it's got a sense of style, which I think a lot of these post. Potter, you know, wannabes. And, yeah, wannabes yeah. and and uh, and homages, shall we say, uh, don't always have. And clearly, you know, it's ambition that strips its budget. Yeah, but, yeah, I didn't mind it. Okay, I didn't enough. mind it. All right, <laughs> maybe I've been harsh on it. Damn it, with fame price. I would. Yeah, I struggled I would. to pay attention, and I didn't <laughs> mind it. <laughs> but no, it, like I say, I think there's a solid premise here, and I just find myself getting lost at times in the plot. Maybe that says more about me than it does about the portable door. Who knows. Maybe it does. Well, we don't have an Empire review of this one, so Hell's Bells, what do we give it? I'd go, I'd go, I'm, I'm, I'm being generous. You go three? Low five. <laughs> <laughs> Low five, struggle to pay attention, Empire. <laughs> uh, look, I, I, I would feel, you know, ungenerous arguing with three. It, it's probably a high two, but it, I'm, I'm going to lie Especially you could watch it in the comfort of your own that is sofa, true. right? I mean, by that standard. It's true. <laughs> You can listen to this podcast in from the comfort of your own sofa, and I wouldn't give this podcast three stars. So <laughs> that's not get started on what I would give this podcast. It's probably best not. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, speaking of this podcast, that's it. We're done. <gasps> we are done. I know. I think this. I'm going to have to do a lot of cutting. <laughs> a lot of in cutting. Well under two and a half hours. <laughs> yes. My God. Yeah. We, we, we. What was it? Tight. One seventy five. Yeah. We're close. <laughs> <laughs> We're closer than I thought we would be when I made that joke four and a half days ago. Uh, anyway, that is it for this week's Emperor Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. Where we'll be joined by some people from some films. I don't remember people who. That? Rise? Evil Dead Rise. Uh, we're hoping to talk to some people from that. and uh, But I can't say who, because it has not confirmed. Okay. And there may be some other people as well. Ooh. And then the week after that, to be another film. What? So, I know. Good Lord. The hits just keep on coming. Really do. So, you know, keep them peeled. Keep them peeled. And this is how I keep myself on my toes. If I don't know who's on the show, then how the hell are you going to know who's on the show? So you got to keep listening wow. to find out who's on the show. So cunning. It's <laughs> such a cunning plan. Anyway, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from my three colleagues of such lethal cunning, Ben Travis, who has gone off to kill again. <laughs> Claim another victim. He was wrathed in plastic. He was wearing a big plastic suit when he left. I heard the sound of Huey Lewis in the news as he walked out. It was slightly disconcerting. It was. Uh, not as disconcerting as James Dyer's Forrest Gump impression. Goodbye, James Dyer. Stupid is as stupid does. <laughs> 
I love it so much. <laughs> it's so bad. It's one of those impressions that, you know, if you were on an ITV variety show in the 1980s or 1990s and you, you had impressionists, it's one of those where you have to say the name of the person. <laughs> I'm Forrest Gump and I'm running. And then people go, oh, he's doing Forrest Gump. Very good. Oh, very good. Very good. Very good. Oh, boy. We should go. 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 Boyd is banging on the glass. I know. That's not an incentive like for me to wrap up. No. <laughs> I'll just keep filibustering. No, I'm going to stop. Hell's bells. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to, yes, folks, buy another Greg sausage roll. No. I can't no, resist. I can't resist a siren song. That's that's uh, Dr. William Weir no, from yeah. Event Horizon. That's what he would say. Thanks for listening. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. I'm running. Oh, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs>